It's Tuesday, it's October, it's cold and it's wet. Uh, it's a little... Listen, you know I've been banging on about bringing my flask in. I've been showing off because I've got a, a big flask. Uh, and it's full of uh, Roybosch tea this morning. My flask is a little bit smelly. Are you meant to clean them? You're supposed to clean flasks, are you? I don't... I, <laughs> it stinks. Anyway... Maybe we'll discuss that a bit later on. Plenty in the show this morning, including Hurricane Sandy is causing severe flooding. We'll speak to a former Hertfordshire man to find out how he's affected. As you heard in the news, Jimmy Savile merchandise proving very popular on eBay. Is there anything wrong with people buying and selling it? And, oh man alive, the latest culinary delight is licking a brick. I know, it's one of these ridiculous restaurants where instead of serving food on a plate for some reason they're serving chicken on a brick. Oh man alive. I do want to know what's the the, the oddest, weirdest thing you've ever eaten? I posted this on Facebook already. We had someone saying live ants, don't ask. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to ask. How on earth did that happen? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. I used to eat chalk when I was a kid. Not like the chalk sticks. I'd, I'd rub my finger along the, 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 the bottom of the, the blackboard. You know, there was that kind of little layer where all the chalk would gather. I'd rub my finger along there and eat it. I don't know why. Uh, you can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can uh, text 81333, starting your text, 3CR. But, let's be honest, the best way to get in touch, always, is on the phone. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, now, something we're talking about later on, before 7 o'clock, is there is a gentleman um, who, he's a poppy seller. And uh, we, we love the poppy sellers. We all love the poppy sellers. Um, and he's been selling poppies in Luton for years. He can't do it this year. The reason is they've taken away his free parking space. They've taken away his free parking space. And so, therefore, he says, well, I can't, I can't do it. I can't afford to do it. And this prompted a real big argument in the office yesterday. And I'd like to know your, your, your view on this. Half the people in the office said, well, this is disgusting, this is an outrage. Of course he should be given a free parking space. The other half went, I don't see what the problem is. Why why should he be given a free parking space? So, quick straw poll of you, dear listener. Poppy salesmen, should they be given free parking spaces? Yes or no? You can text in 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give us a call 08459 455 555. Now, Superstorm Sandy, uh, you've been hearing about it all across the news, has swept across the eastern US coast, bringing heavy rain, high winds and severe flooding. Sandy made landfall in New Jersey, causing a record surge of seawater in New York City, flooding car and subway tunnels and leaving much of lower Manhattan without power. An estimated 60 million people could be affected, and Sandy has been blamed for up to 13 deaths in several states. Hurricane Sandy is barreling toward the East Coast with 50 million people in its path. Yeah, this is a very large, very powerful, and it's again moving very quickly, capable of widespread wind damage, life-threatening flooding, and storm surge. The, the threat of Hurricane Sandy is real. 
and it continues to grow. There is concern that if this crane that's dangling snaps, it can go flying into an adjacent building before it hits the ground. The wind has become more intense here over the last hour. We're getting some sheets of rain as well. Trees bending in the wind. My car is being rocked by the gusts. Tropical storm force winds extend more than 485 miles away from the center. So that's why we continue to talk about a very large area of destruction. In New York City, a man was crushed by a fallen tree. More than one million people lost power supplies. And at one point, emergency services were receiving 10,000 calls an hour. Many roads are underwater. And subways have been flooded by rising waters from the East River and the Hudson. The mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, said the wind had now started to drop and the water level was expected to fall in the city. But he warned the danger wasn't over yet. Stay away from windows, close the drapes. If water is coming into your home, go to the highest area. It is very important that you follow these instructions. It could save your life or the life of a fellow New Yorker. Uh, These are not games. We've said from the very beginning this is a a once-in-a-long-time storm. Uh, The surge is very high. We expected it to be high. It's, in fact, slightly higher than what was forecasted by those that talked about the highest estimate. Well, Peter Franklin, who's a taxi driver, is sheltering in in his apartment in New York City. There's a lot of water in the streets, and also it's the debris. That's the most dangerous thing. Um, I, I and my wife live in a, a modern apartment building. It has a, a terrace. We're on the 16th floor. And, boy, everything is just flying around all over the place. And when I wanted to go out onto the terrace to take a look, I couldn't even open the door because of the wind and the wind pressure against the door. Well, we'll have more on this throughout the show. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. If you've got any relatives or friends who are over there, um, let us know how they're affected. Oh, it'll be interesting. Uh, the weird, weird foods. There's this, this restaurant. It'll be in London, probably, won't it? They, 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 they generally, generally are. They're serving chicken on a brick, and people are licking the brick. It says in here as well that um, <clears throat> that there's a uh, in some Spanish restaurants you can suck on pebbles. Yeah, and in Copenhagen there's a restaurant where you are served live shrimps uh, yeah, yeah. the weirdest thing you've ever eaten please oh eight four five nine four double five five double five um jen of houghton regis says when on holiday in norway as a teenager we were served something that i thought was reindeer but it turned out to be a whale a bit like beef there you go. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Um, now we can go uh, to New York, I think, and speak to James uh, Pitkin, who is from the UK. He moved out to New York seven months ago to work for a bank out there. He lives near Times Square. Morning, James. Good morning. Uh, so you moved out there seven months ago. You live near Times Square, the dream location to many people. What's uh. been happening in the last twelve hours or so? Um, well, not quite the dream. It's been, I wouldn't say chaotic, because we had plenty of time to plan, but it's been, yeah, pretty dicey at times. The wind was really something. And we're hearing these reports. I mean, is it really that impressive? Has it been as powerful as we've been led to believe it might be? I believe it has. I'd say where I am in Midtown, slightly protected, but either side, anywhere near the rivers... And they've really taken the brunt of it. What advice were you given by um, the, the, the emergency services? We were told to stay indoors, to basically get out of the way for the emergency services to make their way to buildings. Um, a crane collapsed pretty close to where I live, so there was a lot of police activity and 
yeah, we were just advised to stay inside, work from home if necessary, and just keep looking at the news reports. And, I mean, what precautions have you taken? Are you barricaded in? Have you got, like, food stored up? How bad is it? No, I mean, there's no crooked pieces of wood hammered to the window, so... <laughs> OK, you're not being attacked by zombies. That's, that's not happening. Not quite. OK. Um, yeah, we went and got food. We planned ahead. And uh, now it's just a case of seeing, seeing what happens, hopefully riding it out. And have you, have you looked out of your window in the last few minutes? What, what's it look like now? It looks... If you didn't know any of this was happening, I could look out now and it just looks like a normal day. Wow. Okay. Uh, there are trees and leaves around, but nothing out of the ordinary. And James, what time is it in New York City? It is just gone two o'clock in the morning. Oh my goodness gracious me. So, uh, listen, James, thank you so much. I shall let you get back to bed. Uh, that's James Pitkin, who uh, moved out to New York seven months ago, living near Times Square. It's a fantastic location. And then he gets all of this. That song uses the phrase, only two more sleeps. And that makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that phrase, only two more sleeps. Oh, oh. Don't know why. Anyway, doesn't matter. Robert Williams doesn't care, does he? Get bored of that to be honest. Going, I was getting bored. It was only 10 seconds left and he was going on and on and on. I'm sorry, but I really couldn't bear it any longer. So, um, uh, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call. Now, you're probably expecting the weather here. It's moved. We don't do the weather at 20 past anymore. And I, I guess I should be saying this probably for the next four or five months until it sinks in for, for not only you, dear listener, but also for me as I get used to this. The weather has moved. So it's only quarter to quarter two from now and the weather's going to be quarter to seven and quarter to eight and quarter to nine so just stay calm we will have weather now here's an interesting story you might be surprised to learn that there's a demand for jimmy savile merchandise despite the sex abuse allegations which surround him bbc three counties has found two dozen items on the uh, internet auction site ebay you may have heard of that and they've attracted multiple bids the lots include a jim will fix it badge which has 41 bids it will sell for at least 216 quid <clears throat> i know Incredible. Our reporter, Sophie Solaire, has been looking into this story. She joins me now. Good morning, Sophie. Good morning. You've been on eBay. You've looked at yeah. this stuff yourself. What have you found? I think more the question is, what haven't I found? Right, really? There is so much on there, Ian. Yesterday, a signed picture of Jimmy Savile sold for £31 and nine people bid for it. That's the kind of thing we're looking at. We've got the guy that sold that coming on exactly, in a little bit. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. We found 24 items as of this morning attracting multiple bids. Eight bidders battled over the Jim Will Fix It board game, complete with plastic medallion, until it went for £29 at two o'clock yesterday afternoon. Right. Uh, so there are people, people yeah. who don't know who eat how eBay and these other sites work. Basically, you put a bid, then someone mm. else, and, and you can have battles to you see who, gets, who wins it. To the last minute, yeah. Okay. This book, his book, God Will Fix It, currently has 10 bidders as of now, yeah. and at the highest bid at present is £38 for his book. Blimey. Meanwhile, the more expensive items which haven't gone yet include his book Love is an Uphill Thing. It's an original it's paperback. It's called what, Love is an Uphill Thing. Okay, yeah. An original paperback from 1978, which is now a... Pr- up for £200. Buy it now. 200 That's a bite now, though, so, so that could no, mean... No, sorry, it's... No, it, it can be... Bi- it's at its fixed price of buy it now. Okay, sorry, right. you have to start your bid at buy okay, it now. Right, that's okay, the right. That's the right term, isn't it? I'm just getting used to eBay. Well, buy it now means that they've put a price on. They said, you, if, you, if you make me an offer of 200 quid, you can have it. No, it, this is on at £200 minimum spend. 
Okay. So, so they, they start it, it at 250. It starts okay. at 200. Okay. Similarly, a genuine Jimmy Savile Gold tracksuit is done at 450 minimum. Okay. So but but no one's putting bids for those for those yet. Not yet, but okay. can you, that is that is the level. That is the level Mad, of isn't it? It is it's high. One of the most interesting items for me, a genuine Jim will fix it bad, as you mentioned earlier. Yep. In a bidding war, forty one people, so far the highest bid is two hundred and sixteen pounds, as you said. I mean Do we know how much longer that's got to go? The, I think it's got three or four days. Okay, because that'll go for more than that, I think. I think it might. Yeah. And then there are also a fair few fancy dress costumes going between twenty seven and fifty pounds. But this could be down to another reason. Mm. Fancy dress supplier Smithy stops stopped selling their official Jimmy Savile costume, which included a metallic blue shell suit, jumbo gold rings and large plastic cigar, mm. after evidence of the alleged crime came to light. So yeah. they've withdrawn all of their costumes. Okay. Um, that's, of course, teamed with the Halloween, which is might, might be the, why the rush is on. Well, we're going to speak to Smithies later on in the show about this. Uh, um, but but what, what have eBay said? Well, they refused to come on the show this morning, but I do have a statement for them. Okay. From them. They say eBay does not allow the sale of offensive items on the site. This includes those that promote violence or criminal activity. Yep. We're in the process of removing offensive items relating to the recent Jimmy Savile allegations, and we're carefully considering all items listed and exercise our judgment to decide whether they should be removed. So essentially, they're aware of this happening and they're monitoring the situation. Why do you think people would want to buy these things? I do. I, I wonder myself. I understand why people would want to sell them. Yeah. Uh, but who really would want to buy them? That's why later in the show we'll be speaking to psychologist Dr Derek Lee from Bedford about the reasons behind why people want these items. Mm. Meanwhile, these people in the three counties told us what they think. I just think it's revolting to like sell that sort of stuff because it's just hanging on the back of publicity, isn't it? Well, eBay's a democracy, isn't it? And, uh... You know, they have restrictions on some articles that they uh, they post, you know. A flick knife is different from a Jim will fix it badge, isn't it? It's just poor taste and uh, those people that buy it should be named and chained for being saddos. It's hard for them to monitor, I suppose, but other than that, it is wrong. Because it's people profiting on other people's misery, really, isn't it? So. That's know. disgusting. <laughs> Shouldn't put things like that on yeah. eBay to be selling, that's disgusting. Bad. That's just putting money in their own pocket. Should just leave it alone. That's all wrong. Well, strong views there. With us on the line now is the seller of the signed photo of Jimmy Savile, which sold yesterday for £31 to the highest of nine bidders. Morning, David. Good morning. Why did you decide to sell your picture? Good question. I think it's all sounding a bit sick, actually, listening to some of the phone-ins. And, but my, my personal story is I purchased this picture, first of all, a few months ago, because I have a themed room at home, and it's all retro 70s themed lounge. So it's not, it's not, a, it's not a Savile theme, it's specifically, it's, it's the not 70s. A, oh, it's definitely not a Savile theme, no. It's just a 70s retro theme. Yeah. So basically, going through eBay myself a few months ago and seeing this picture, I thought, superb. What yeah. a cracking picture for a 70s room. Yeah. And I've even got a Jimmy Fexit badge up to the flame of the picture. Then all of a sudden, all this comes to light um, in such a bad way, then all of a sudden it's just repulsive looking at the picture. So I know what most people would say, and I'll say it myself, the easiest thing to do is actually just to burn it. Yeah. But going through um, uh, eBay myself, absolutely, like Sophie was saying there, absolutely gobsmacked regarding how much this stuff is selling for. Yeah. So probably in a quite a selfish way, I'm thinking... Oh, I'll just relist it then, and I might get me money back. Uh, to my surprise, it actually doubled money, but... So how much did you pay for it? I paid £15 for it and sold it for 31 Isn't that interesting? 
I'm, I'm absolutely gobsmacked. But what amazes me, I don't think that probably talking to someone like me being a seller is actually that interesting because it's obvious why people would want to get rid of, of Jimmy Savile stuff. But I would love to hear from some of the people who are purchasing it. Well, listen, if anybody out there has been purchasing this stuff and wants to give us a call, 08459 double five. And you don't know anything about... I don't know names or anything, but the person who's bought it hasn't given you any reason why they've bought it or anything? Absolutely not. I had quite a few emails saying that... Um sick, burn, burn the picture, and so I had all this, and I, and I, re- I did respond to about six messages I had. Hang on, how many, you, you had abusive emails? I had abusive emails saying, why are you selling this rubbish? And I, and I just, I responded to all of them saying, I couldn't agree more with all of you, uh, with all of you that, um, regarding this issue. But it was just something that, to be honest, I didn't really put that much thought in. I'm no. actually, as I say, and probably a selfish way, thinking, well, I've just been gone and been ripped off. If someone wants it, let them have it. And whatever their reason is behind it, that's none of my business. You just crack on. As long as you pay that money into my PayPal account, I'll get rid of the picture. So <laughs> I, I, just, I have got this thing as well, thinking, because I was talking to Sophie yesterday regarding this, that, uh, about why people would buy it, would buy it. And the only thing I can get my head around is that us human beings follow people like sheep. And when there's, there's a saying in life, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Jimmy Savile was absolutely riddling our TV uh, news bulletins every day of the week. And I was just thinking, is it, you know, that, that precise thing, do people want it because, you know, he's centre of attention at the moment? It's possible. David, listen, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for your honesty. I can't believe he's getting abusive emails. That's unbelievable. Uh, listen, later on, uh, um, we, we want to hear from you, basically, this morning. Would you buy any of this stuff? Do you think it's appropriate that this stuff is being sold and being sold for... You know, he doubled his money there. 08459 555. Is it appropriate to be buying and selling Jimmy Savile merchandise? Sophie, thank you very much for coming no in. No problem at all. Catherine, before you go... Oh. Yes. Uh, we're talking <laughs> about weird stuff that you've eaten. Yes. Can, can you tell yours, please? I used to have a top bunk because I was the big sister and uh, I was quite near the ceiling and I must admit I have had a little taste of Artex. Now, what does Artex taste like? Chicken? Paint. Paint. Right, because Chris has posted on Facebook, <laughs> uh, does Catherine know that Artex contained asbestos? <laughs> yeah, I'm not laughing now, am I? Not laughing now. Thank you very much, Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Every, I say that because everything tastes like chicken. Oh, I had reindeer, it tastes like chicken. Oh, I, I ate some dog in Korea, it tastes like chicken. The oddest thing you've ever eaten, please. Um, uh, uh, Alison. Now, Alison on Facebook has posted this, and if you, if you want to go to the Facebook page, facebook.com, find BBC Three Counties Radio, it's there. Um, d- d- dog biscuits. Yeah, I used to eat dog biscuits and dog chocolates. I had a bit, for some reason, I had dog chocolates in my school bag. I can't even be bothered to go into the reason why. And I'd eat the dog chocolates. They were fine. Weird things, excuse me, weird things that you've eaten, please. 08459 455 555. Is it acceptable to be buying and selling uh, Jimmy Savile merchandise? And coming up in the next hour, the UK's first universally accessible walkway has been built in Buckinghamshire. I'll be telling you where it is and what's different about it. And should charity collectors get free parking in towns? I'm going to be meeting a Luton poppy seller who thinks so. He's in the building now. He's had a, a, a feisty conversation with one of my producers already. Definitely going to be worth a listen. What do you think? Should charity sellers get free parking in the town? If you call up now, you'll be able to put your point to him. Here's something I never thought I would be saying. 
On Saturday morning between 6 and 9, you can listen to Chris Akabusi. You can, it's not exciting. I've never met him, but I bet he's like one of the top three nicest people in the world. Or maybe he's got a dark side, who knows? No, I bet he's lovely. I bet Chris Akabusi's a nice guy. Anyway, he's doing the breakfast show on Saturday between 6 and 9. Fascinating guests, captivating local stories, a review of the papers, uh, and it's all with Chris Akabusi, Saturday from 6 o'clock on BBC Three Counties Radio. Isn't the world a strange and wonderful, wonderful place? Now, the UK's first universally accessible walkway has been built in Buckinghamshire. The pavement connects Stoke Mandeville Stadium with Aylesbury Town Centre and already has some adaptations for people with mobility problems. In the next two years, it will be improved to help those with visual and hearing impairments as well. Andrew Clark is from Buck's Disability Service, who got the scheme off the ground. It's a length of... Uh, pavement from Stoke Mandeville Stadium to Aylesbury Town Centre, which has been comprehensively rebuilt and redesigned to make it accessible for all people with a uh, physical disability or an impairment. So what's changed? Um, A lot of it is things that perhaps should have been there anyway. So, for example, the kerbs are all dropped. There are islands in the middle of the road for people who walk slowly. But there are some features which are not in the national standards, which we've um, doing for the first time really and that are things like putting seats at frequent intervals along the route so that people who need to sit down and rest can do so um, simple things like that there is a dog waste bin along the route so that people with an assistance dog have got somewhere to go without having to find it um, and it's signposted it's very clearly signposted so that people don't lose their way because that's obviously an issue as well and you've just signed a memorandum of understanding with the council to change it even more, haven't you? That's correct. Um, Bucks County Council, Aylesbury Vale District Council, Aylesbury Town Council and a number of other bodies that are involved. This is a very complicated project. Um, They've signed a memorandum of understanding to develop it as what could be the UK's first ever um, universally accessible way, which is to say a route that is specifically built and designed to be accessible for all disabled people, whatever their impairment or, or disability. Uh, what needs to happen then to make it that accessible? Um, it's, uh, most of it is about people with a visual impairment or with a, with a hearing loss impairment. Um, obviously people with a visual impairment who walk with a white stick, they need what's known as a tapping ridge or a tapping edge and that means that the whole route has to be curbed in a particular way There are no national standards for this. This is going beyond the standard of accessibility that is normally required of public pavements. And we are going to have to break, literally break new ground in terms of looking at how we design this so that, for example, it's good for a person who uses a white stick, but it doesn't trip off people who use walking sticks. So there are some really tricky issues. And that's never been done. That's never been done anywhere in the country, as far as we're aware. And so, you know, it seems very fitting that in the home of the Paralympics, we should actually be making this, you know, taking forward these new projects for disabled people. There you go. We should have a little bit more on that uh, throughout the show. 08459 455 555. A couple of things on the go. The weirdest things you've eaten... Comment on Facebook. Oxo cubes. Well, just like normal Oxo cubes, without even mixing them up into a broth. Is it a broth? Broth? I think, yes, Jervain. Just OXO cubes. Uh, we're asking that, 08459 455 555. The selling of Jimmy Savile merchandise on, e- on eBay and other sites like that. Do you approve? And also, got a poppy seller coming in next. He's upset because he's not got his free parking space this year. Should he get a free parking space? Speak to him after this. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Now, you've probably started to see the poppy sellers around the three counties. Well, one collector who sold poppies in the Mall in Luton for 10 years will not be selling there this year because his free parking has been taken away. 
Colonel John Hamilton raised £8,000 from the collection last year for the Royal British Legion. He joins me in the studio now. Good morning, Colonel. Good morning to you, uh, Ian. You've been collected for ten years. Have you always had free parking in that time? Could I just correct your trail to this programme where you Please said do. that I'm upset about getting free, not getting free parking? OK, what That is not the situation. Explain the situation. The free parking is part of the security of carrying a lot of money. What does that mean? I don't understand that. OK, I live in a house. I have to get to the Arndale. Yes. I'm doing that dressed as I am with a poppy collection. You're pop. wearing a, a camouflage outfits with medals. I'm wearing a Combat 95 uniform. OK. OK, so I get to the Arndale yeah. by whatever means. Yes. When I'm in the Arndale, I get a pot full of money. Yes. What do I do with it then? Do I go home again? I've got a problem walking around with a pot full of money. Right. Therefore, the Arndale, in giving me parking last year, which Mr. McFarlane was kind enough to do because he supports the Royal British Legion Poppy Appeal, yes. gave me security as well. Right. I could go to and from where I collected, to my car, put the money, have it secured, get another pot, go back and do some more when collecting. When you mean security, you, mean that, well, you don't mean someone walking with you? No, I mean security is me. Right. Yes. This pot is tied to me. They can't take the pot without taking me with it. Right. So you are upset? Upset at what? I don't know. You no, you, you said I'm upset at well, not getting free then? parking. Okay, you're, I, you're I, upset that you're not getting the security of having the free parking. I'm upset about not being given free parking and the security that goes with it. It's a two-part thing. Why can't you pay for the parking? Me personally? Of course I can. Tell me why I should. You tell me why you shouldn't. No, you tell me why I should. Because everybody has to pay for parking and all the other charity collectors pay for the parking. Oh, now right. you tell me why you shouldn't. I shouldn't because the Royal British Legion should be supported by them all. The Royal British Legion mm -hmm. should not be giving money to them all to sell poppies. Right. It's the other way around. But the uh, other charities... Royal British Legion is a charity. Yeah, so the other charities, I would assume, don't get the, the free parking and the security that that Do you know that? I don't know it. I'm assuming it. OK, I know well, let's assume that the other charity people yes. are taken to the Arndale, dropped off and picked up. I don't okay. have that facility. Why, why, why don't you investigate getting that? Uh, from whom? Well, I don't know. I do, the, the, I'm, I'm, just, I'm being contrary just because y you, you've made this, this strong point that you, you think you're entitled to the free parking. And the no, I didn't. That, well, what is your point then, sir? I've just said it. Well, the point was, you, you, OK, you expect it, you in, you're entitled to it. Which, All which right, word am I using back, that, that is not quite correct? Let's go back in time. In 2003, I started selling poppies in the mall. Right. I approached the University of London, uh, of Luton, for um, parking. <clears throat> and they gave it to they you. They were very happy to provide that. Excellent. Until 2010, when the head of facilities said that they were no longer prepared to offer parking. Right. Now, parking at the university was slightly inconvenient because I have to walk across a public road with the pots of money. Right. So I approached the Arndale last year. Yes. Mr. McFarlane was very <coughs> helpful yeah. and provided me with free parking. And yes. I was very happy with that. I had security and I was in the Arndale Centre doing what I was there to do. Mm. I stand there for 100 hours. Right. It's a long time. It's your choice. Of course it is. I'm a volunteer. Yep. yep. Why do you say it like that? 
No, I'm saying you, you're, you're saying it. Are you being slightly argumentative, if I'm being honest? Oh, of course. <coughs> you are, too. You've got a history of questions for me. Uh, uh, let's put the questions away. They're gone. There's no Excellent. questions there. Good. Right. Uh, y- I need to that bit of paper because it's got statements from the people you keep naming that aren't here, and that's only fair for me to read those out. I'm sure you'd appreciate that. But you, 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 it's your choice to stand there for 100 hours. So that's, you saying I, st- I stand there for 100 hours is almost, is, is almost irrelevant because it's your choice. Okay. You try it. Well, I don't want to. I, I'm not making that choice to do that. It's, I'm saying it's your choice. It is your choice. It is not my choice to do that. It is. Correct. Where are we going now? I don't know. I, I, can, I, can I be honest, Colonel? Yes. I don't quite like your attitudes. Okay. I don't, I don't quite see why you're... I, I, I'm just questioning you because I have to do that. That's my job. Okay. Uh, and you're being slightly obtuse, which means it's making it hard for me to have any empathy with you. I'll try and be as simple as I can. Please do. Ask your next question. Okay. What do you want done? I don't want anything done. I've done it. What have you done? Well, um, Broadhead, who is the new manager at the Arndale, yes. refused me parking. Right. At the end of the conversation was sarcastic. And I decided that I would look elsewhere to see if I could sell poppies. Have you found somewhere else? I went to Asda. Right. Now, the difference between the mall and Asda mm. is chalk and cheese. Right. The mall are completely disinterested in charities. One of the marking administrators there... According to you... I have to say that because they're not here, sir. You, uh, you appreciate that I can't just take your word for it. I have I'm to making a truthful statement, believe I, I me ha- or not. Well, I, the thing is, for, for your sake, for my sake, and for the BBC's sake, I have to be slightly on their side because they are not here. You cannot make sweeping statements about them when I do not know the facts. And for you to say they are against charity, I can't accept I that. I didn't say fact. that. Whatever you, whatever you said... I can't accept that as a sweeping statement. I'm not making a sweeping statement. I'm making a simple statement. You're making a fact according to you, but we do not have that side here. So for legal reasons, I have to say that we don't have them here, and that is your opinion. For legal reasons, I have to say that, to stop us getting sued, to stop me losing my job. Hmm. I'm beginning to see why they didn't give you free parking. You're quite hard work, aren't you? Uh, I care passionately about the Royal British Legion. I care passionately about people supporting the Royal British Legion. And if people belittle the Royal British Legion and say it's exactly the same as all other charities, which is what they say, I say that is not wrong. Why is it different from all other charities? Why is is this charity so special compared to sick kids, cancer, other charities? It's um, the charity that Her Majesty the Queen goes to the Royal Albert Hall every year. It is the charity that is represented at the Cenotaph with everyone wearing their poppies, supported by Her Majesty the Queen. It is a national charity that's been going since 1921. And that makes it better than other charities? It does. Really? What do you think about our armed forces? Let me ask you a question. Please do. You, you, you move, uh, listen, I've got rid of my questions. Get rid of yours. Get How rid much, of your hit list of questions. I've got rid of mine, if you want to play fair. How much do you value the freedom that you and your loved ones enjoy in this country the the limited freedoms that we have i value quite a bit yes right so if you were where to a poppy how much would you donate uh it depends if i go on television on the bbc they insist we wear one they give us one for free um if i were to donate in the street I, it depends a pound and do you think a pound would be a fair donation i don't think that's relevant yeah i think it's fair I don't think the Royal British Legion is the most important charity. All right, give me a better one. Great Ormond Street, off the top of my head. 
Right. Because uh, kids are our future, and there are sick kids. I don't know if you've been to Great Ormond Street, there are really sick kids that are suffering. Uh, I have kids. Uh, one of them is going to have to go to Great Ormond Street, so for me, that's the most important charity. It's, 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 what, it's relevant to your life, isn't it, is, is how you perceive the important charities. Yes. Excellent. I'm going to have to read some statements uh, from the people that we've mentioned. We contacted the Royal British Legion. They said, in this instance, we've spoken with the centre manager, Mark Broadhead. We are more than happy with the arrangements that are in place for Poppy Peel, uh, Appeal Collections at Luton Mile. That's the um, RBL saying that. Happy with that? Yes. Excellent. Wow, this is awkward, isn't it? Uh, we asked the Mal in, Mal in Luton to take part in today's interview. They declined, but they say we see the RBL as a very important charity. We will continue to support it. We support all charities equally. Any comeback on that? They say that all charities are equal. I totally disagree with that. Mark Broadhead goes to the Cenotaph every year. Right. I don't... I, I, there will be some people listening who might consider it, it a little arrogant to put the poppy appeal and the RBL, who do an amazing job, ahead of other charities. OK. Do a straw poll of the population of Luton. OK. Let's see how many people agree with me or disagree with me. We're not going to do that. No, I didn't think you would. <laughs> not because you're right, because I can't be bothered. Yeah. Spokesman for the RBL uh, said the Legion is grateful to shops, pubs and other commercial enterprises which allow poppies to be distributed and collections to be taken on their private property or inside their trading premises. We never insist upon such permissions, nor would we coerce businesses into allowing collections on their premises. Also, under no circumstances would the Legion support the boycott or public naming and shaming of those who choose not to or un are unable to support the appeal. In this instance, we've spoken with the centre manager, Mark Broadhead, who you've mentioned several times, and are more than happy with the arrangements that are in place for poppy appeal collections at Luton. So even the Royal British Legion are happy with the situation, Colonel. Really, I'm not happy with that statement by the Royal British Legion. So you're, you're now against the Royal British Legion as well? No, not well, at all. Well, that's their statement. Well, uh, can I take two words out of that? Coercion. Uh, why would you want to take that out? Because it's uh, a word that just doesn't apply to the poppy appeal. Okay. You, you did, man, you did uh, tell off one of my producers for not wearing a poppy. No, I didn't. I said you are not wearing a poppy. Okay. And what if that made her feel uncomfortable? Uh, she had... I was giving her the opportunity to buy a poppy, which she did. You're quite intimidating, aren't you? No, no, no I'm very straightforward. Okay. I'm a really charming, lovable person. Okie dokie. Colonel, thanks very much for coming in. You're welcome. Um, let's get the, I'm not buying one now. Let's get the news and sport. Let's go to Catherine. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. If you've just tuned in... I suggest you listen to the iPlayer for the last 15 minutes of radio. Keen to get your thoughts on that, please. Well, well, how do you think that interview went with the Colonel? It's left me feeling... How has it left me feeling? How do I put this into words? Uncomfortable, I guess is the word. Uncomfortable. What do you think? Was I a bit harsh on him? Or was it the other way around? Genuinely keen to get your opinions. Will you agree with me or not? Keen to hear your thoughts on that, because it's one of those things. Sometimes you have conversations or arguments or interviews, and you come away thinking... I don't quite know what happened there, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. Not in any way, uh, I don't want to knock the Royal British Legion and the Poppy Appeal in the slightest, or the Colonel, for the good work he does, and he does raise a lot of money for charity. Fair play. But, 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 what do you think about that? And it brings us back to the key point, 
should he be getting the free parking? That was the, the, the thrust of what the interview was supposed to be. 08459 455 555. Also coming up in the next hour, Hurricane Sandy causes severe flooding. We speak to a presenter at a New York radio station to find out how they're reporting the story. BBC Three Counties Radio finds that Jimmy Savile memorabilia is proving very popular online. People are buying this stuff. And the latest culinary delight is... Licking a brick. I know... What's the oddest thing that you have ever eaten? We're getting some great stuff, including one on the the Facebook page. Someone said they um, the burnt the end of burnt matches. Oh no, it's Dean. Dean, sorry, on Twitter. I used to eat the burnt end of a matchstick. I've heard that before. The ways you can get in touch are very simple. You can text eight one three double three, starting your text three CR. You can email three CR at bbc.co.uk. Or you can give us a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Superstorm Sandy has swept into the eastern US coast, bringing severe flooding and claiming at least 13 lives. Sandy caused a record surge of seawater in New York City, flooding subway and road tunnels and leaving much of lower Manhattan without power. An estimated 50 million people could be affected, with up to 1 million ordered to evacuate homes. Well, Lee Harris is from 1010 WINS Radio in New York, a rolling news station in the city. Morning, Lee! Uh, it's, uh, I've seen better, let's put it that way. What, 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 what exactly has happened? When did the storm start over there? Well, we started feeling it uh, around midday yesterday, and of course it hit its peak in the evening hours. Uh, we are in the part of Manhattan that is without power, which is the lower third. So our building is on emergency power, and uh, we're actually not even on the air, technically speaking. We're on a, an FM backup station at this point our main transmitter site went off the air so uh, we're among the many impacted of course many impacted much worse than uh, we've been uh, there are people completely without power we at least have our generators and uh, we've had at least 16 deaths as a result so we consider ourselves so far among the lucky here but it uh, looks like we won't have uh, mass transit here for days and uh, could be quite a while before we get back to any semblance of normal in uh, you know what is normally hustling and bustling New York City. It was very eerie this morning, driving down into uh, lower Manhattan with the lights out and nothing moving uh, except for a few police cars here and there. If you look, I don't know if you have a window near you, Lee, but if you look out the window, what, what can you see? I see a very few lights here and there in the distance, uh, presumably emergency generators, but for the most part, uh, it is quite dark. The lights I do see for the most part, are across the Hudson River in New Jersey, looking uh, south from my window to lower Manhattan, where the new Freedom Tower is rising, etc. Utter, complete darkness. And for the city that never sleeps, listen, I've been to New York, I'm going to New York in a few weeks, for it to be in darkness must be very eerie. Well, we've had the occasional blackout, of course. I've lived through uh, a few, so it's not as if uh, this is a first, but I think it may be a first caused by a hurricane. Normally something goes wrong in a you know transmission plant and they can get it back to normal within uh, you know, 12 or 14 hours. Here we're not quite sure uh, how long this is going to last and uh, of course just plain massively disruptive and at the worst levels deadly. Lee, have any of your, your listeners called in and spoken to you? And if so, what, what have they said? What's happened to them? 
Well, we uh, have reporters out running around. They've talked to them. Everybody uh, has problems uh, this morning. Uh, the people in the upper part of Manhattan, where the lights are still on, for the most part, are uh, in better shape than those who are without electricity, of course. But even they have no access to mass transit. And I think the real problem may come in the next few days is perhaps we have trouble uh, getting supplies into Manhattan, uh, by which I mean food, gasoline, and the other necessities. So not sure how much we have on hand here, but uh, you can see some logistics problems potentially beginning to develop. And we heard uh, over here yesterday that, that people were being asked to evacuate. Did, did, did people listen to that and, and follow that advice, or did a lot of people stay? Well, I'm sure your uh, well-informed listeners are aware that New York City is surrounded on virtually all sides by water, the Atlantic Ocean, uh, various bays and harbors, etc. So there is a lot of low-lying ground. And no, uh, large numbers of people, perhaps the sizable majority, uh, having been uh, told in the past that they would be flooded out, uh, ignored the evacuation orders. And so uh, some of them, I'm sure, are now regretful about that. And that's... uh, probably hundreds of thousands of people around the city. So uh, while it may not have been deadly, it's certainly proving to be inconvenient for these people. I know it's, it's still very early there, uh, Lee, but has there been any statement from the mayor or, or from any official bodies since the storm started? Well, constantly. Uh, everybody knows that uh, you can't go on holiday while this sort of thing is going on. So the mayor, the mayor, the governors, uh, pretty much anybody in a position of authority is at their command posts, as uh, are the people here at the radio station. Uh, many of the people here have been uh, working 24 hours. Uh, in fact, the hotel where we would be staying uh, is also without power, so they're better off here, where at least uh, we have a few lights on and... Uh, some semblance of air conditioning working. Are you stocked up with coffee, Lee? Have you got plenty of coffee and donuts in there? Uh, looks like we're pretty good for coffee. The uh, only question is whether we'll have enough power to keep the, uh, the coffee maker running. And I think we have some pancake batter. <laughs> well, Lee, listen, thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you're well. And, uh, you know, it, it, obviously there have been some tragic deaths there. And hopefully there will be, there will be no more. Um, and best of luck with getting everything back together again. All right, uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. You come over, hopefully we'll have everything ship-shaped for you by then. Lee, I'm totally going to come in and see you and, and be on your radio station. That's what we're doing. That's Lee Harris there from 1010 WINS Radio in New York. Um, it sounds incredible, doesn't it? Well, what happens if you'd planned to travel to New York or the surrounding areas? We can speak now to Bob Atkinson. He's from TravelSupermarket.com. Morning, Bob. Good morning. What, what's the advice for people travelling to the area? Well, basically, if you were due to travel out from the UK today, then it is highly unlikely that your flight operating to somewhere like New York, and it's not just New York, we're looking at Washington, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and also to some extent Boston, uh, that those flights are not going to be operating. So I would urge anyone flying to the East Coast today to contact their airline before they leave for the airport. And best way to do that is to check online. Airlines like British Airways and Virgin have got lots of information on their website telling you what's happening with flights. And then if your flight is isn't operating, giving you the options that are available to you. What happens if I was supposed to be flying out to New York yesterday and my flight was cancelled? Do do I get another flight? Do I get my money back? How does it work? Well, under uh, it's very clearly controlled under uh, what is called the EU 261 rules and basically... The old EU 261 yes, of course, yes. These are good. good. They protect us and what that does is it ensures that um, any airline operating from the EU to any destination, when your flight is cancelled like these have been, you're 
entitled to either a full refund oh, of okay. your flight, yep. uh, and then you walk away and that's it. But of course, if you've got additional uh, travel arrangements that you've made, you're going to perhaps need to have to get those cancelled, and if you have losses, try and claim those losses back from a in travel insurance company. Mm-hmm. The other option you have is that the airline will say, well, look, if you want to rebook, you can rebook within a booking window that we give you, and uh, <clears throat> uh, in that case, you can rebook your flight, and then the airline then has to give you, under EU 261 rules, things like meals and drinks, hotel accommodation, uh, you know, a few calls and a bit of transport to and from the airport that is deemed to be reasonable. And what I would urge to passengers is that those who maybe are delaying their trip uh, to go back to the States because flights are cancelled or to go there if they're starting on holiday, um, then do speak to your airline before you go off and start making hotel reservations and they will give you the best advice as how to do that. What about those Brits that are over there now trying to get back home? What advice is there for them? Well, it depends really how you've booked your trip. Again, exactly the same options are open for any EU airline, and there's a difference here. Mm. If you were flying out on American from Britain today, you're covered under EU 261 rules. But if you're flying on American coming back from the States, you'll be given a refund or, you know, they'll, they'll probably offer you to rebook. But as far as things like welfare, that kind of goes out the window. But anybody on right. BA, Virgin, say Air France, KLM, uh, Lufthansa connecting into to, to the UK, exactly the same rules apply. Either a full cancellation or you rebook and then uh, there is welfare from the airline. But as I stressed again, you must actually speak to the airline. One other little thing, if you've actually booked a, what is a full package, so you've been online or into an agent and have bought a package where everything's all in one price, your hotel and your flights all together in one go, then um, that is covered under at-all regulations, slightly different. So if your holiday was cancelled before you even departed, um, again, you'd get a full refund of the entire lot. You don't even have to worry about insurance there. and uh, Or you would be offered uh, to rebook. So there's lots of protection there. Check uh, things like the CAA website that gives you the, the best information. Bob Atkinson from Travelsupermarket.com. Thank you very much indeed. And before that, we spoke to Lee Harris, uh, who's uh, an American broadcaster in New York City. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, about 20, 25 minutes ago, we met uh, Luton Poppy uh, salesman, Colonel John Hamilton, who came in, who was um, disappointed that he was no longer being given free parking at the uh, Mall in Luton, and was upset that he didn't have the security that that brought. Uh, This is what he had to say. I'm upset about not being given free parking and the security that goes with it. It's a two-part thing. Why can't you pay for the parking? Me personally, of course I can. Tell me why I should. You tell me why you shouldn't. No, you tell me why I should. Because everybody has to pay for parking and all the other charity collectors pay for the parking. Now you tell me why you shouldn't. I shouldn't because the Royal British Legion should be supported by them all. The Royal British Legion Mm -hmm. should not be giving money to them all to sell poppies. Right. It's the other way around. Yeah, that was the least tense part of the argument. It was kind of all downhill from there. Uh, we'll play more of it uh, after 7.30. Do you agree with his point, the Colonel's point there? Do you agree that he should be given the free parking um, and that the, the security that brings? 08459 455 555. Roger's from Letchworth. Good morning, Roger. Good morning, Rebecca. It's, uh, <laughs> it's Ian. No, sorry. No, don't, don't, don't wait. It's an honour to... As we all know, Roberto's show is amazing. It's an honour to be mixed up for him for the second time. Roger, what's your take on, on the, the chat I just had with the Colonel there? Uh, well, following on from the I'm sorry I have a cold line there, I would say upper class twit of the year. Well, let's not, let's, let's not be rude about the gentleman. He's not here. I don't want you know, any, any digs. Point taken and, and reference to Monty Python, uh, the Great Fleet knowledge, but let's, let's well, not have any digs in him. He wa- well, let's just, let's just say that my perception... 
was the gentleman um, was extremely arrogant, so he had had the right to have the parking. I, I actually kind of stopped thinking, should he or shouldn't he have the parking? Because as he went on insisting that he should, more and more I felt he shouldn't have the parking for that reason alone. The guy just rubbed all the hairs up the back of my neck the wrong way. Supposing he hadn't rubbed the hairs up the back of your neck the wrong way, but, uh, 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 and um, um, would, would, you, would, would he be? Do you think he would be entitled to, to, to free parking anyway? Um, entitled, no. Okay. Um, the, the parking made, is parking. The colonel made a point that, that, that struck a chord with me. He says it's, it's, it's the most important charity, more important than any other charities. Uh, uh, it's important to him, and that's the whole point. A charity is important to the person. In, it's a very subjective statement. I, th- I think uh, you, you could possibly be right on that. But and you, you would uh, not... I mean, uh, for example, as I say, Great Ormond Street is very important to me because I volunteered there. Our little boy may have to go there. Uh, and that's why it's so important to me. And this is not in any way to knock the, the Royal British Legion and the Poppy Appeal and anything like that. They, they do marvellous work, fantastic work, support a lot of people. Yeah, sure. But, but you would agree that that perhaps was a, a, a slightly oversweeping statement. Um, I think oversweeping is an understatement in itself. Well, Roger, I'm I'm being tactful because the Colonel's not here, and, um, you know, if you missed it, do listen to the iPlayer again. From about ten to seven. It was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, uh, the Colonel's not here. I don't, I don't want to have any unfair digs at him, because uh, I don't want, you know, he's not here. Eddie's in Luton. Morning, Eddie. Good morning, Ian. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Free parking for the poppy sellers. What do you reckon? If you're going to do free parking, then you do free parking for all charity people, not just one. Mm. But according to the Colonel, the the Poppies is the most important charity. Well, if you speak to anybody that runs any charity, their charity is important to them because it has reasons for why they're doing it. Mm. So, if I had a hat, I would take my hat off to you, Ian. I would, honestly. Well, listen, Eddie, I want to ask a question. So, I do feel a little... If I'm honest, I feel a little bit uncomfortable about what what happened between the Colonel and myself. It was was one of the most awkward interviews ever. And, uh, boy, oh, boy, you should have been in the studio when the microphones went down. (laughs) Uh, uh, Was I too harsh on him, Eddie? Do you know, no, because the thing was, he wasn't giving you any any sort of leeway on anything you were saying. You were posing very... Cut, you know, plausible questions to him, mm. and he just cut them down with one-word answers, and he wasn't giving any sort of retort back to it. I mean, he's talking about the security. That really confused me when he said about the security. Mm. If he was given the security, like, which he calls it, when he was parked, he was parked in Park Street, so he would have had to walk out of the Arndale Centre to his car with these pots of money, whereas in the Arndale Centre, he was he was in, within it, and he could just gone upstairs and mm. put his money in. So I was really lost on his security business, where he, he was losing security. I feel a little bit uncomfortable about what happened, if I'm honest. No, I, I, feel, I just found him very, um, sort of, pedantic. Okay, Eddie, we're going to move on. I, I, as I say, you can find it in the call about if you heard it. What did you think? I, I do feel uncomfortable about what happened. And that's not how I want my interviews uh, to go. If I was sat at home listening in my car, boy, oh boy, I would have enjoyed it as a listener. Let me tell you that. But was I a bit harsh? I don't want, <clears throat> you know, I don't want um, to fall out with my guests. I want my guests to come on the show and feel welcome and feel, you know, that they can express their opinions and we can have a little bit of a debate and disagree. That was a little bit um, <clears throat> uncomfortable. I feel a bit odd about it. Right. Uh, weird food that you've eaten. <clears throat> I do apologise. I've got a frog in my throat. This is, there is a, a, a swanky hotel, uh, a restaurant in London. They're serving chicken on a brick. I know, you're probably paying a fortune for it. You go to these places and you pay a lot of money for it. Chicken on a brick. I'll have it on a plate, please. People have been licking the brick. 
It's not a euphemism. Don't worry. It doesn't mean anything vulgar. They've literally been licking a brick. Uh, Catherine Boyle, the newsreader, used to uh, eat Artex. <laughs> I know. She was in a top bunk. This was when she was 32. Uh, and I used to eat chalk dust. Uh, so what did you used to eat? Oh, eight four five nine four double five five double five. Ben in Buckingham says, I've eaten many strange thing, inclu- things, including when I was 15, I was dared to eat a lolly with a live caterpillar in it for a tenner, which I did. You could hear it crunch. Oh, dear. I've also eaten horse meat and snail porridge. All three were lovely, and I would eat them again. Fantastic. Well, there you go. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. You may be surprised to learn that there is a demand for Jimmy Savile merchandise. Yeah, Jimmy Savile merchandise, despite the sex abuse allegations which surround him. BBC Three Counties has found two dozen items on the internet auction site eBay, which have attracted multiple bids. The lots include a Jimmel Fix-It badge, which has 41 bids. It will sell for at least 216 quid. Earlier on, we spoke to David. He told us he was sent abusive emails after putting a signed picture of Jimmy Savile up on the site. Well, I had quite a few emails saying that sick, burn, burn the picture, and so I had all this, and I, and I, re- I did respond to about six messages I had. I responded to all of them saying I couldn't agree more with all of you regarding this issue, but it was just something that, to be honest, I didn't really put that much thought in. I'm no. actually, as I say, and probably a selfish way, thinking, well, I've just been gone and been ripped off. If someone wants it, let them have it. And whatever their reason is behind it, that's none of my business. You just crack on. As long as you pay that money into my PayPay account, I'll get rid of the picture. Uh, well, Mark Willard is from Collector Mania in Milton Keynes and joins us now. Morning, Mark. Morning. You deal with a lot of collectors, of course. Why do you think there's been a surge in Jimmy Savile memorabilia sales? Um, I've got to be honest, I have no idea. Mm. Um, usually, um, usually if something like this was to happen surrounding some sort of collectible, it would just completely kill the value on it. Uh, do you know any Jimmy Savile collectors? Um, I don't. Uh, I have a friend who has a Jimmy Savile badge, uh, a Jim will fix it badge, yeah. that he uh, he got about three or four years ago. He's been looking for one for a long while. Um, How much did he pay for it, can I ask? He paid about £150 at the time, okay. and, and at the time he was ecstatic, he was really, really <laughs> yeah, pleased. Yeah. Um, and now he just, he, he doesn't know what to do with it. I think, I think his preferred option at the moment is throw it in a bin. Well, there's, there's one going on eBay for 216 quid. Yeah, I don't think he could bring himself to put it on there. Now that's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Would he, would, he would feel uncomfortable selling it, would he? Um, yes, he would. I, I, I know for a fact that he just... He literally doesn't know what to do with it, and he's moving house at the moment, and I think it's liable just to get slung as, as he moves. Wow. Yeah, I've got a friend who's got one as well, and he's kind of like, well, I've got it. Where, where, where shall I put it? Have you come across a, a, this situation before, Mark? Well, not this situation, but a situation where a collection has suddenly become completely worthless? To be honest, not really. Not, not quite in the same way as this. I mean, you have, you know... With, toy collectors, you, you can have things that become worth less because the toy company may reissue it, mm. very similar or the same, um, and that can hurt the value on individual pieces, but for something that, that was collectible due to its nostalgia, to just completely you know, disappear as a collectible really, there aren't very many things that can make that happen because... Most collectibles are collectible because of their nostalgic value to people, so it's hard to take that away. Um, obviously, allegations like this will do a very good job of doing that, though. Mark, listen, thank you very much. Mark Woolard from Collector Mania in Milton Keynes. But why do people want 
the Jimmy Savile memorabilia. To talk to us about this uh, and the psychology behind this is Dr. Derek Lee. He's a consultant clinical psychologist. Good morning, Doctor. Uh, good morning, Ian. After such appalling allegations, why would anyone want to buy this stuff? Oh, a very good question. Um, I, I think um, a number of right, a number of things really. Firstly, uh, all the publicity has kind of made the whole issue loom large in people's minds. So it's drawn people's attention to everything surrounding uh, Jimmy Savile, and we are. You know, by nature, we, we, we tend to be collectors. We, we like collecting things, right? Having things, right? Having connections uh, with things that we're in, interested in. And um, we talk about, you know, the Jimmy Savile stuff. But people collect all sorts of strange things. You know, you, you, you can get, uh, I suppose the most uh, notorious would, would be kind of people that collect Nazi mm. memorabilia. And it doesn't mean to say that they support the beliefs of the Nazis, but they, got, they, they have some connection to it. And people would also collect things like, uh, you know, associated with serial killers, uh, Jack the Ripper, for example. Derek, do you think that there's this this kind of sense of humour that we develop when nasty things happen? I remember when the night Princess Diana died, within moments, jokes were being texted around. There's this kind of defence mechanism. Do you think that this is part of it, that there is this sick sense of humour that people think, oh, yeah, Jimmy Savile, paedophile, I'm going to get myself a Jim will fix it badge because it's funny? Well, I hadn't thought about that side of it. I mean, that's a possibility. Uh, I, I think the, the important thing to remember is, is that the motivations for different people will will uh, will, will vary. Um, you know, to, to, I said, you know, to, to buy something doesn't mean to say that you actually condone the actions mm. or you revere the person. I think in the case of Jimmy Savile, he was, you know, a, a great he was very famous. And before this news broke, then there was a, an, an auction of his memorabilia. And uh, that, you know, raised a lot of money for charity. The, the meaning of that has now kind of shifted as we view him in a, a new light. And he's moved from being kind of famous to infamous, from, from kind of celebrity to n- notoriety. Mm. And that gives another dimension, another value, and perhaps attracts you know, another group of people in, in, into that um, desire to collect things associated with him. Derek, we have to move on. That's Dr. Derek Lee. He's a consultant clinical psychologist. There, there are people um, that, that will be dressing up in Hall- uh, over Halloween as Jimmy Savile. There are Jimmy Savile costumes. We'll be speaking to the company that made them and is withdrawing them now. Loads of those on eBay. Could you... Do you understand the morbid fascination with this? Have you bid on something? Would you buy some Savile merchandise? Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, dear. Oh dear! On the the, uh, the the Twitter, we're talking about um, talking about weird things that you've eaten. There's a reason for it, but it's almost irrelevant now. Graham Rickman uh, has tweeted me. My son. Oh no! My son used to lick shaken vac off the floor, and once licked ant powder, thinking it was shaken vac. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. No, thank you. That's very, very unpleasant. It's all because there's this restaurant where people are. You're getting. These swanky restaurants are so up their own backsides. You're getting chicken on a brick. Chicken on a brick. I want it on a plate, please. For goodness sakes. Put it on a plate. And so what's happening is the, the sauce is dripping onto the brick and people are licking it. What weird things have you eaten? 08459 455 555. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or um, you can go on the Facebook page. If you go to Facebook, and uh, BBC Three Counties Radio, find the page there. There's a lovely picture of Jonathan Vernon Smith holding a ferret. A ferret! 
I'll have you know. Speaking of Jonathan Vernon-Smith, he will be on at nine o'clock this morning. Uh, always worth a listen. Um, he'll have the question of the day at nine. We don't know what that is yet. He's keeping it top, top secret. His team of boffins are working away on it. Chiselling at it to make it the best question that he can possibly give you. Um, and then uh, from 11, 11 is the hour that I really enjoy, the consumer hour, because... Um, very, very exciting. Uh, and also, coming up in the next half hour of this show, the UK's first uh, accessible, universally accessible walkway has been built in Buckinghamshire. BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Dealey has arrived there and will be telling us all about it uh, in the next half an hour. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, we've been talking about poppies this morning. Um, we had Colonel John Hamilton in, who has done a cracking job, has raised uh, £8,000 from his collections last year, which you can't sniff at that. Uh, his free parking at the Mall in Luton has been taken away, and the Colonel um, uh, was disappointed it was taken away because, A, it was free parking, and B, it, it provided him with extra security. Um, because obviously he was transporting lots of cash. If you missed the interview, it happened about 15 minutes ago, I, I thoroughly recommend you listen on the BBC iPlayer, because it was, um... It was tense, to say the least. It, it was a little bit tense. It, it, here's a bit of... Oh, no, I've just skipped it. Look, I've just missed it. We'll get that queue back up. Hang on a second. Uh, if I go there. Yeah, here is a bit of uh, what he had to say. Yeah. I'm upset about not being given free parking and the security that goes with it. It's a two-part thing. Why can't you pay for the parking? Me, personally? Of course I can. Tell me why I should. You tell me why you shouldn't. No, you tell me why I should. Because everybody has to pay for parking and all the other charity collectors pay for the parking. Oh, now right. you tell me why you shouldn't. I shouldn't because the Royal British Legion should be supported by them all. The Royal British Legion mm -hmm. should not be giving money to them all to sell poppies. Right. It's the other way around. Uh, that was the Colonel. That was the uh, calmest bit of the interview. If you, if you missed it, I, I recommend you... Uh you go and listen to it on iPlayer. Well, Colette McKeveney is the Chief Executive of Age Concern in Luton. Good morning, Colette. Good morning, Ian. Well, what's your, your take on, on poppy sellers and poppy selling? Well, you know, obviously I think we all, without exception, support poppy sellers. I, I, I must buy about a dozen every year because I keep losing them. They do, that, that's, their, that's their clever <laughs> plan, is they make those pins so fiddly that they keep falling off, so you have to keep buying more. Good work on their part, I think. It's it's a wonderful plan when you think, you know, sort of that you, you keep on having to replace it. And you actually feel quite bad if you don't wear a poppy, don't you? Yeah. But, but I think what the Colonel's really talking about there is um, feeling supported. I mean, from that extract that you actually just played, it's about him feeling that all of us are actually remotely interested in what's going on and we understand the contribution that the Royal British Legion and, um, you know, servicemen and women have actually made over the years. So I, think, I don't think it's really about free parking. I think it's about feeling appreciated, isn't it? Mm. But he must not. He raised eight thousand pounds last year. That's that's an ob that's an obvious uh, appreciation that can be measured, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think that's the thing. You know, the public are generous. He's clearly very effective, as, you know, at collecting. Um, and I think, without a doubt, you know, there are obviously risk assessment issues of security for anybody mm. collecting sums on the street. Um, and I think your question was quite valid. You know, why don't you pay for it? Other people are paying for it. Other charity collectors, but it's about people feeling that what their cause is is really appreciated, not just by the general public who are donating, 
Um, but by, you know, the lack of the Arndale or any big mm. shop that would give them the um, opportunity to collect there. You mentioned the, the security aspect. Do we know of any instances of, of, of um, those buckets being snatched for any charity? Because I, I, well, I would imagine it probably does happen. Well, well, yeah, it does. I mean, you know, obviously, sort of, we, we're a charity. Obviously, we collect money. Um, we've had, sort of, collection boxes in our charity shops. And well, they've disappeared. They've been taken? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this You're is not uncommon. No, honestly. It does happen. That's and, terrible. Um, well, well, and how much is going to be in those pots? It's only going to be a few quid. Well, this is it. I mean, generally speaking, generally speaking, you know, most of the time people are putting coppers in that they get at the till. But, mm. you know, sort of, um, I don't know. I mean, in one case, we reckon that, you know, sort of some people might be more generous and you might get the occasional pound coin or the occasional sort of five pound note or something. Yeah. But uh, certainly, you know, I mean, we, we, we've, we've had this happen in the past, and it is really difficult. It's very frustrating, um, even in a shop, to keep, keep things secure. Mm-hmm. So I can understand how vulnerable he feels um, in terms of that, and, and I would, you know, hope the Royal British Legion are maybe a bit mindful of that as well, because really it's their money once it's collected, you know? Mm. Do, and do, do, do you, have you been out shaking the buckets? No, I haven't. I mean, years ago in Luton, we used to actually organise the poppy appeal, as, you know, a lot of the um, organisers were getting on a bit. Yeah. And so we did that for a number of years. And, you know, I mean, they were very dedicated people. They were wonderful. I have to say, back in those days, um, you know... Uh, people were more outdoors, you know, there was, um, there were the Arndale collectors, but there was also people, you know, collecting at the railway station, and, you know, um, they, they, were, they did have, I mean, I don't know, this maybe this says a little bit more about Luton in the past 10 years, but, um, you know, we, we did actually have to go and sort of pick the um, pots up from them, because we didn't want them bringing them back mm. all the way to Age Concerns premises in Manchester Street, so, yeah, I, I do think there are security issues there, particularly where you've got kids or older folk who are maybe um, mm. collecting on behalf of a charity. You've really shocked me with that thing that, that, that your pot are being nicked from the shops? I mean, I have to say now, the communities, our shops are in Birdfoot Lane and in Farley Hill. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've, I've got to say something on behalf of the people of, of Farley Hill and Birdfoot Lane, that we have a much lower level of shoplifting than we ever did when we were in the town centre. Mm. Um, you know, sort of, that some people will still fix things up, you know, we will still get problems. But I think we're very much owned by the communities that we're in. I think when you're in the middle of the town centre... Um, maybe people don't have that sense of ownership mm. about looking after their charity in the same way. Colette, uh, fascinating. Lovely to talk to you. Colette McKeveney, Chief Executive of Age Concern in Luton. That's really shocked me, that. People nicking the pots from the front of the tills in, in charity shops. Really? I'm so naive. David's in Bedford. Morning, David. Morning, Ian. Uh, you, you collect for a charity, do you? Yeah, I do some collecting for a charity. You, are you one of those people that stands there with the buckets and, um, and, and gives out stickers and things? Yeah. Good for, good for you. What, can I, what charity is it? It's actually arthritis research. Okay. Uh, how secure do you feel standing there with a big bucket full of cash? Some of the time, not very happy, depending on the area. Right. But, but some places, if you're in a supermarket, you feel more secure because, actually, they've got cameras. And the same with the Arndale, they'll have cameras all round. So they can focus on you all the time. Have you ever had any trouble, David? E- either people trying to steal the money or, or verbal abuse or anything like that? I've only had verbal abuse. I've had nothing ever stolen from me. What did they say to you? Oh, they were just didn't agree with the charity. What, arthritis? Yeah. What because it? it was medical research. Oh, OK. And it was an animal rights one. Oh dear, oh dear. Listen, I'm, I'm, I, I, I have my views on animal rights, but I still wouldn't challenge someone who was collecting for an arthritis charity. That doesn't sound, um, doesn't sound... What do you do when you're confronted by something like that, David? I just play it very, very cool, because your temper is up, yeah. and you could... Virtually 
actually punch them sometimes the way they say oh, it. God, don't, David, don't do that. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't want to read in the local paper, local man collecting for arthritis punches animal rights activists, please. No, but it's the way they come at you. Well, they were quite aggressive, were they, in their language? Yeah. Oh, dear, there's no need for that. Well, listen, you, you know, good work doing the charity. And how often do you go out and about collecting? Oh, very occasional. Right, yeah. Now. Yeah, especially now it's blooming freezing. You don't want to be stood out in this weather, David. <laughs> no, that's definite. Won't do the arthritis any good at all. <laughs> no, I know, at the moment I can't because of my arthritis. Really? Well, David, listen, well done, and, and, and you know, keep up the fight. Thank you very and, much, And David. thanks for your way of putting that over today. A lot of people will be respecting you for that. He did not give you one chance to answer properly. David, thank you. Listen, I don't, I don't want to go into attacking the Colonel. I appreciate your words. The Colonel's not here, so let's, uh, Colonel John Hamilton. Uh, if you want to know what David was talking about, do, do, do uh, very rarely can I, can I say with confidence, oh, listen again on the iPlayer, um, without sounding a bit arrogant. Do go and have a listen. It's about ten to, about, yeah, quarter to, um, seven. It was, was uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm stumbling over the time because I know we're at the BBC, but the clocks in here are wrong. They've not been put back an hour. So I'm having to do the maths, and I know it's you take an hour off, it's dead easy. But uh, at my age and with my early morning head, it's not quite so easy at all, I'm afraid. We've been asking uh, weird foods. Um, Vic says, I often eat suet. Oh, I didn't know you could still get suet. We had suet when I was a kid. Can you... Vic... And Barry Taxi says, I have eaten snake in Hong Kong when I worked on cruise ships. Oh, dear. I've eaten, um, there was a thing about 10, 12 years ago. Uh, they brought it out as a sweet. Yeah, a sweet. Dried grasshoppers. And I ate some of those. It was crunchy. <laughs> what, what can you say about it? It was crunchy. Uh, weird food. And I, yes, I used to eat. I used to eat the chalk dust. You remember on the blackboards, there would be a little sort of a bit of wood that about an inch wide that stuck out from underneath the, where you put the board rubbers and you collect all the chalk dust and stuff. My party trick was licking my finger and rubbing it along the chalk dust and then sucking it. And it was something quite... They say that you do things like that, don't they? Because your body is crying out for it. It's like pregnant women, supposedly, some pregnant women lick bricks i said bricks that now uh, and and uh, coal coal isn't it that's it has that ever happened if you, is your did your wife have weird food cravings when you were pregnant did you have weird food cravings my wife didn't all she had was she wanted a bit of chocolate and we had um, pizza delivered a bit more often that was it that was as weird as it got and i could dig that we're having chocolate in the house and pizza every week fantastic what weird things have you eaten Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I have to be honest, uh, I was listening, I had a lovely drive after the show, I went to Sandy yesterday, uh, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was very nice, um, and it, if I drive at the right speed, it takes about an hour from here to, to Sandy, and I, I, I left at 11, I had the whole consumer hour to listen to. Jonathan... Uh, was <laughs> was responsible for one of the funniest bits of radio I've ever heard in my life. I've, it, seriously, I was in my car just laughing. I was wetting myself. I think I can say it on the radio. I, I'll explain more when he comes in. It was wonderful. Wonderful. For all the wrong reasons, of course. 
<laughs> it was so funny. Anyway, the UK's first universally accessible walkway has been built in Buckinghamshire. The pavement connects Stoke Mandeville Stadium with Aylesbury Town Centre and already has some adaptations for people with mobility problems. In the next two years, it will be improved to help those with visual and hearing impairments as well. This morning, our reporter Justin Dealey is out in Aylesbury. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Ian. Yes, yeah, certainly uh, interesting news and exciting news uh, for the people of Aylesbury. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm here in Buckinghamshire this morning. I'm with Andrew Clark. Andrew, good morning to you. Morning. You're the Chair of Trustees at the Bucks Disability Service. So, we're standing very near to this walkway, which is about two and a half kilometres long. Can you tell us about some of the main features along this route for us? Yes, what's been done is to make this route accessible, or far more accessible, for disabled people as a Paralympic legacy. Mm. Um, it's a really good route. The curves have been dropped. We've done innovative things, like put seats along the route for people who need to sit. Um, there's a dog bin for people who have assistance dogs. It's not yet completely suitable for every single um, disabled person, but it's a big step in the right direction. Yeah. It's a step, of course. There are more work to be done in the next two years. Tell us more about that. Yes, the, um, the partnership that has put together the route, um, and I must stress it's a partnership between the councils involved and Bucks Disability Service, um, we have the ambition to make this um, probably the UK's first universally accessible route. Mm. That is to say a route which is specifically designed to be accessible to people of all types of disability. And very fittingly, it links Aylesbury Town Centre with the home of yeah. the Paralympics, Stoke Mandeville Stadium. So much work has gone into this. You must feel so proud already. Of course, it's not the finished article, but you must feel immensely proud. I think everyone should be proud of what they've achieved. It was a terrific job by the highway engineers to get it in in time for the Paralympics. The day of the Paralympics opening ceremony, that route was open for wheelchair users to, to get easily around. Um, it's been a tremendous amount of work and all credit to those that did it. Also with us today is Carol Bennett. Carol, you're a wheelchair user. Thank you for joining us live this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. So what we've been talking about here is certainly a step in the right direction, isn't it? Oh yes, definitely, because it's um, much more easier for electric wheelchairs and disabled people to actually uh, be able to get to the um, Olympic Games and what have you with the drop curbs and the seats uh, for people that's walking and what have you because, uh, no, it is a good um, good access, mm. what have you. Absolutely, and just uh, finally, you have been campaigning for many years with, with better facilities for disabled people like yourselves. I mean, do you think on the whole now that people have got more patience towards you? Have we become better as a nation? Have we become better in Aylesbury at looking after you? Um, yes, um, but it's still a long way to go. It's going in the right direction, but... Uh, as I say, it is a long way to go because there is still the slight stigma. Um, they rather they rather talk to my carer than actually talk to me in a wheelchair. So mm. it's still a long way, but it is improving. So your message would be: just treat you normally, just yes. treat you like everybody else, because you are exactly the same. That is correct, mm. and that's all we actually want: is to be treated like anyone else, because we are normal. I think that's more than fair. And a last word with Andrew. So we'll see you back here in two years' time for the, the finished article, then. Oh, I think this, this route is going to attract a lot of attention over the next couple of years. And, um, yeah, I look forward to that. Brilliant stuff. There you go. That's Andrew Clark. He's Chair of Trustees at the Bucks Disability Service. And also Carol there, who's a wheelchair user in Aylesbury. So, Ian, yep, come back to us in two years. I shall stay put for the next two years and watch wow. this happen. And, uh, no, yeah, it's fantastic. No, you, don't, you can't stay there for two years, Justin. <laughs> we need you tomorrow to go and do something ri- ridiculous. No. Oh, yeah, oh, it's Halloween tomorrow, it's of course. 
yes, yes. Halloween. Have you got some spooky plans for tomorrow? Uh, yes, I've got some very, very spooky plans, and I've got some makeup as well. I shall be revealing all tomorrow morning. <laughs> sounds absolutely terrifying. <laughs> and a little bit sexy at the same time. It doesn't sound sexy. It sounds terrifying. But, but uh, Halloween special tomorrow. I, I did go to a haunted house uh, and recorded a little package with some ghost hunters. We'll play that out tomorrow. If you've got any ghost stories, like real ones, not just things you've made up, but if you've, your house is haunted or you've seen a ghost, tomorrow, I really want to embrace that. I don't believe in ghosts. I'd love to. I would absolutely love to. And if anyone can convince me they exist, then I will be there. Totally. But uh, I want to hear your spooky stories. That's for tomorrow. And if you, uh, maybe you want to get in touch in advance, you can email us. 3CR at bbc.co.uk. And if you label your, your um, uh, email Ian Lee or breakfast or something like that, it'll be fine. Uh, right, 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Uh, a year-long independent review into the NHS breast screening programme says thousands of patients have unnecessary treatment each year. Its report says screening does save lives, but sometimes leads to treating a cancer which would never have caused problems. Each year in the UK, 48,000 women are diagnosed with invasive breast cancer. The Department of Health says women will now be offered more information about the risks and benefits of breast cancer treatment. Jessica Harris is uh, Cancer Research UK's Health Information Manager. Cancer Research UK contributed to the study and she joins me now. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. Many women, I'm guessing, will be quite worried by this, this news today. How effective is the screening? Well, this independent review has shown that breast screening does uh, save lives from breast cancer. About 1,300 lives every year um, are saved as a result of screening. But that, that also comes um, at a cost, I guess, um, and the cost is over-diagnosis. Um, that means when a cancer is picked up and treated through screening, which, if it had been left alone, wouldn't have caused the woman any problems during her life. Uh, the problem is that when a cancer is diagnosed through screening, it's impossible to tell. Mm. I guess the future of it um, what's going to happen is it going to be one which is going to grow fast um, spread and potentially kill the woman or is it one which which wouldn't have done that um, but because doctors can't tell at the time it's diagnosed all cancers um, diagnosed through screening are treated uh, and, and most of those successfully so how do you, how would you go on to tell what part of the, the, the treatment is lacking that means they can't tell whether it's going to be a, a life-threatening or not well, we need some more research to understand whether there is a way of distinguishing between these cancers mm. um, because it really is a case of testing it at the point of diagnosis um, rather than during treatment. So um, at, at the moment, we, we just don't have a way of predicting how, how, whether it's going to be one of these overdiagnosed cancers or, or one which is potentially... So you um, don't know at the moment until, it, until you've removed it, is that right? Even then, um, e even at, at the point it's diagnosed, um, it may be biopsied. Um, the scientists will, doctors will look at it under the microscope, try and work out um, what what type of cancer it is. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, there's no test at the moment which can distinguish between overdiagnosed cases that don't have any potential to kill and those which do. It's also worth remembering that 15,500 cancers a year are diagnosed through the screening program, and the majority of those do need to be treated because mm. um, if they were left alone they would grow uh, and spread and, and potentially kill the woman. What happens as a result of, of, of this report? Will, will women who've had unnecessary treatment be contacted about this? there's no way of telling who those who right. those women are no woman and no doctor would ever be able to tell either at the point of diagnosis or after treatment whether 
that treatment was um, was for a cancer which did have the potential to kill or for a cancer which okay. didn't. That, of course, is why every woman is treated because the do- doctors w- won't want to risk leaving the woman without treatment and, and then potentially having her um, risk dying as a result of that cancer, which is why all cancers are treated. Um, the, the immediate outcome is that the information that accompanies uh, the breast screening invitations is going to be reviewed um, so that it gives a better account of both the benefits and the harms. Um, and although Cancer Research UK would recommend that women continue to take up their breast screening appointments because it remains one of the best ways we have of getting breast cancer diagnosed at an early stage, it must be a personal decision which women have come to um, based on information about so the, 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 the main thrust of what will change as a result of this is, is women will be given more information it's important that, that women before they are screened get the chance to find out about all the possible outcomes of screening um, both the benefits and the harms the benefits of course is life safe from breast cancer and those benefits are real um, and you know 1300 deaths a year avoided it, it you know it's, it's no it's no small number um, but it's really important that women know beforehand so that they get to make a, a proper informed decision about whether or not to take up screening um, of course you know we would recommend that people still still do but it, it needs to be a, a personal decision and um, it may be right for some people to take it up and, and right for other people not to and, and that's fine jessica harris cancer research uk's health uh, information manager thank you very much indeed that lady you just heard eats artex it's true it's true, Catherine Boyle. Well, I say she eats Artex. She used to eat Artex. One of the things we're asking this morning, the weirdest thing you've eaten. There's a swanky restaurant where the chicken is served on a brick and people have been licking the brick. It sounds like a euphemism. Or it sounds like a show on Channel 5. Uh, also coming up in this hour, the, the Sandy is causing severe flooding. We speak to a weatherman in New York to see if it was as bad as expected. And Jimmy Savile merchandise is proving popular on eBay. There's a Jim will fix it badge. Jim fixed it for me badge going for about £216. Is there anything wrong with people buying and selling it? Can you understand it? I've just had someone tweet me. I'd love a Jim will fix it badge and there's not a court in the land that could stop me. You can get in touch via the email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. You can text 81333 starting your text 3CR. Or you can give us a call 08459 455555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The reason I chuckled there was um, our newsreader, Catherine Boyle, has, is, I think, angry that I keep going about the Artex. And she's just sent me a message. I dis- didn't guzzle loads of Artex. It was an amuse-bouche. OK, there we go. Thank you very much. Now, it's, the, it's all over the, the, the news. It's, and if you've seen the footage, it's just been incredible. And at least 13 people have been killed by one of the biggest storms ever to hit the United States. The cyclone Sandy is tearing across the east coast of the US and Canada, bringing record-breaking floods, hurricane-force winds and heavy rain. More than 5 million people have lost their power supplies. Well, we can speak now to James Gordon. He's in New York for us this morning with the latest. Morning, James. Oh, hang on, you're there. Sorry, James, you're there. Hi, good morning. What, what's, what's the latest? What, what's, what's happening right now? Well, the worst of the storm is over in the sense that um, those devastating winds have now uh, succeeded uh, slightly. But um, 
uh, not that much. I mean, there's still gusts of around uh, 50 miles an hour, um, you know, outside. But w- w- when we were talking of, of speeds of around 80 to 90, um, it, it's a bit better, a bit calmer, but uh, <laughs> not much. But the, the other thing to mention is that um, the big problem now is, is the flooding that's, that's been occurring. There was a huge storm surge last night as Sandy came ashore, and a storm surge of 13 feet meant that the Hudson River on the west side and the East River both burst their banks, and this water just sort of pummeled in to the uh, city's streets and then began sort of draining away down into the uh, the subways and the... Um, the road tunnels and it's going to take a long time i would think to to pump all that water back out and of course many of the uh, roads um even in, even like the, 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 on the main streets that the, the, the perimeter roads the uh, fdr drive as it's known in the west side highway that run around the perimeter of manhattan island are completely flooded in some sections and um, i've even seen pictures of cars floating um wow. along some some streets in the in the east village it's just um it's a lot, it is like a scene from a disaster movie ever you know this people keep saying that but um you, you know i've not seen something like that before in new york it's normally a very orderly place has new york got the infrastructure in place to pump this water away and get everything dry and, and back to normal again well I, until the uh, tides um goes down then i don't know where the water will go because of course um manhattan island it, it, you know it is surrounded by water of course and um you know, what, what, where do you pump the water to? Uh, mm. there, there has to be has to be lower around you, otherwise it's just, just going to stay. But I, I think the, the the real cause of this, of course, was the it was the the fact that it was a hurricane coupled with a winter storm, coupled with high tides, um, and this storm surge all sort of coming together at the same time. The the the, the, the exact time the storm um, actually came ashore in in Atlantic City, about ninety miles south of New York, was the same time as the high tide. Couldn't have been more mm. perfect, if you like, but. Um, it's because of that that, 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 that uh, really I don't know what they could have done to prevent it you know sandbags only go so far interestingly this has kind of knocked the uh, presidential race into the sidelines they go, they go to the polls in a week don't they they do in one of the tightest election races in, in years um, you know President Obama and uh, Governor Romney have really put the brakes on their election campaigns um, I don't think that uh, Governor Romney really wanted to be, uh, you know, making points out of this uh, disaster. Um, He doesn't want to be at huge political rallies when uh, tens of millions of people are dealing with the storm. And similarly, President Obama is just doing what he should should be doing, being presidential. He's uh, monitoring things from the White House. Um, I've no doubt he'll visit uh, the worst affected areas, which will include New York. He's been here a lot in the the last uh, few weeks, but uh, it was to raise money for his his funds, uh, you know, his presidential campaign. But I guess he'll be setting up a fund to repair some of the damage that's been created by Sandy. I would imagine, being quite cynical, James, that, that Obama could benefit out of this, couldn't he, in, in, term, in terms of the election, in that if he gets over to there quick and is seen getting his hands dirty and helping people and stuff, that will... that could benefit him, couldn't it? Well, you know, one side is saying that, that Barack Obama, who has been seen on TV, talking emergency, sounding very commander-in-chief, uh, that he'll be very effective at this and that it will impress people watching at home if they've got the power to watch TV at home. But on the other hand, you know, if he puts one foot in it, uh, like, uh, you know, puts a foot wrong, like President uh, George W. Bush did with Hurricane Katrina in 2005, things could unravel really quickly and go very badly for him in the polls. And he doesn't want to mess up because there's only a week to go 
go. James Gordon, uh, our correspondent in New York, thank you very much uh, for that. Indeed, doesn't it sound a mess? Uh, you, um, you know, you, it sounds awful. I don't know. Can someone explain to me, please, the difference between... Because I'm saying, at some points I'm saying a cyclone, then I'm saying a hurricane, then I'm saying a tornado. Does anyone know the difference between a cyclone, a hurricane and a tornado? And a storm? Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. There'll be somebody listening who go, ah, yes. Well, a cyclone you see is this, and a tornado is this, and a hur- Could you give me a call and just clear it up for me now? He'll jump straight to the front of the queue. Oh, wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Somebody who probably knows is Nick Coffer. The man knows everything. He's on today, uh, midday till three o'clock. And uh, from midday, Nick speaks to an international best-selling author who lives right here in the three counties. Michael uh, Morpurgo. Tom Robinson is an army photographer from Wendover. He's spent time filming out in war zones uh, like Iraq. And from 2pm, we speak to the producer of BBC's Saturday Kitchen. Nick Coffer from Midday, always worth uh, a listen. And Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be in in about 10 minutes or so to tell us what's happening on his uh, show. Now, we've been mentioning this all morning. You may be surprised to know that there is a demand for Jimmy Savile merchandise, despite the sex abuse allegations which surround him. BBC Three Counties has found two dozen items uh, on eBay that have attracted multiple bids. The lots include a Jim will fix it badge, which has 41 bids. It's going to sell for at least 216 quid. I reckon it'll push 300. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been in Stoke Mandeville this morning, where he spoke to a man called Martin, who used to work at the hospital there, which has been at the centre of the allegations. Now, Martin, we're talking about Jimmy Savile memorabilia this morning. Are you surprised that people are buying this stuff? No, not at all. People buy that sort of stuff. Mm. They're buying, they're still buying Nazi stuff now, so why should it be any different for Jimmy Savile? Are these people sick? In my mind? Mm. Yeah. Well, why would you want to buy something that belonged to an abuser and possibly a paedophile? You know, what sort of person wants to, be, to own that sort of thing? Beats the hell out of me. Now, back in the 1970s, you were doing some work at Stoke Mandeville Hospital, yeah. and you saw Jimmy Savile, and you saw him touching some of the younger girls. Tell us well, more about that. I say younger girls. These were, these were nurses, and um, they would have only been about 20, 19, mm. 20. But you did hear of, you know, possibly younger girls, schoolgirls that were up there for... 15, 16 years of age up there for doing their games up at the stadium and things like that. Mm. I personally, never saw that myself. I saw him sort of touching the backside of certain nurses and that, and then they were, they were often complaining to the administration, but whether they did anything about it up there, I don't know. So back then you probably just thought he was a dirty old man. Are you shocked about what you've heard in the last few weeks? No, because no, there's no smoke without fire. It's an old saying. If I've seen those sorts of things... Other things have come to light since. It doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, and what about Stoke Mandeville, Buckinghamshire, being associated with Jimmy Savile now? Because obviously we're, we're hearing the stories every single day. You're a local man. You can't be very happy about that because the, the whole world knows about his association with Buckinghamshire. Well, it's, 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 it disgusts me, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know. I could use stronger language, but I won't because you're recording it. Um, I just... I, I, it's, it's hard to put into words. The local people around here thought he was marvellous. Thought the sunshine out of his proverbial, and the, all the all the work he was doing for charity, the spinal unit, and all this. But to find out now that all this was just a front for his whatever you want to call it is 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 it's disgusting. It's, uh, upset isn't the word. Disgusted, a lot of the people would be around here now. I think disgusted is uh, is definitely the right word. What do you? How do you feel about this stuff? There, there is Jimmy Savile stuff being sold on eBay, and speaking to a, someone earlier on, a guy called David who sold a Jimmy Savile picture. He paid fifteen quid for it a couple of years ago. 
or a few months ago. He sold it for over 30 quid. Doubled his money since the allegations. I think he bought it about three or four months ago, he said. How do you feel about it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Earlier on in the show, we had Colonel John Hamilton in, who uh, is a poppy collector. Um, and I think Jonathan will be talking about poppies a bit later on. We'll, we'll, we'll let him come in in a few minutes and tell us that. If you missed it, it was from about quarter to seven this morning. I thoroughly recommend you uh, listen to it on iPlayer. Listen again. I have never had an interview like that before. We'll play a little bit in, in, in a few minutes. Because I, I have never conducted an interview like that before. I've, it, it was uncomfortable. It was awkward. I, I genuinely, if you listen to it, was it me? Was it him? I don't know. I don't know. It's come away scratching my head. Anyway, we've been talking about poppies. We had another caller who said that everyone supports the work of the Royal British Legion. To put the other point of view across, David has uh, uh, tweeted me. You can tweet at Ian Lee or at BBC3CR. Re your earlier caller. Not everyone supports the work of the Royal British Legion. I certainly don't. And I think that's the thing that we have to be aware of when, when making sweeping statements. That we, we, we may think something, but that there will always be someone who disagrees. David, thank you for that. Oh. Ah, Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, your show, when, you're going to go national at some point, aren't you? are going to leave us and go to Radio 2 or something, aren't you? Uh, do you know something I don't? Yes, I do. We've really? Got no, because I was laughing so much at your show yesterday. Why? For the wrong reasons. All right. <laughs> that, I, the case listen, for many people. I was in my car. I had a lovely drive to Sandy from 11 o'clock to 12, and I slowed down so that I could listen to the whole consumer hour. Oh, I sped nice. up at the end when, um, um, who was it who came Don't on? Don't ruin it now. No, Come it on. was um, Pearls of Singer came on, that lady. Oh, yes. Elkie Brooks. Elkie Brooks. My mum was a singer. I met her. She's wonderful, but bonkers. But lovely. But um, your consumer hour is uh, is uh, is a gift to me. It's a joy. Is it? It's a re- it's one of my pleasures in Thanks life. Thanks very much. Um, and there was a bit that really, really made me laugh. Which bit? I don't know. I heard Do you, you mention this earlier. I don't know what you're you. You don't know which up. bit. Which bit? You were talking to a lady about wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> It, it was this bit. So he's raw when they kind of just grab one another, whereas Smackdown is when they fling them over the back and no, all that. it's all the same. Oh. What's the difference then? Oh, it's different type of wrestlers. Oh, I see. So, like, yes. you might get the big ones, they do the raw, and then the little ones well, do... In that case, I'm going to go raw. <laughs> What's so to... funny about that? Well, what, was, I... <laughs> what was even better was later on you started calling it Slapdown. <laughs> what is it? Sorry, it's Slapdown. Smack. Oh, Smackdown. Well, I don't know what it is. It's all just all a bit silly, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, it's raw. The are big... you a wrestling enthusiast? Then you're laughing at it as if I, you know, I, I'm obviously I didn't know. I'm, I'm not an enthusiast, but even I know. <laughs> even I know what she was talking about. Do you? So is Raw the big ones? <laughs> Smack down the little ones. Well, I was thinking perhaps Raw was Big Daddy, and uh, <laughs> what, what, what's funny? I think Big Daddy's dead, isn't he? Yeah, he is dead. Big Daddy's dead. He used to do the Daddy Splat. Yeah, the Daddy Splat. The Daddy Splat was when Big Daddy would climb up onto the side of the ring and then just jump on someone. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yes, it's moved on a bit since Giant Haystacks and Kendo Nagasaki. <laughs> Has it really? Yeah, it's a little bit, yes, yes. Oh, gosh. But well. thank you for that. And it really, I, I've got that now as my ringtone, that clip. It really made Have my you? day. It was, so, it was so funny. I really... Uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm pleased I made you laugh for all the wrong reasons. And you're, you're, Tim, your producer, uh, he yeah. could have stepped in at any moment to have saved you from that embarrassment. No, no, he they chose don't. Not to. He no, chose they not leave to. me writhing around in agony <laughs> on air. It was an excellent show. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks, Ian. Talking of excellent shows, yes. what about your interview earlier with the Colonel? Colonel John Hamilton, who's raised a lot of money for the Royal British Legion, yes. Well, I was, uh, I was gripped in my car, in my luxury car earlier. I right. was gripped. I was, I was clinging to the steering wheel for dear life, to be honest it with was, you. It was very uncomfortable. Yes, and from nine on the big phone-in, mm. if it's all right with you, I'd, yes. I'd like to, uh, to use this as a, spring for, a spring, springboard for discussion. Should Ian Lee be sacked for being rude to a Colonel? No. I, what I was very interested, I mean, he, he this guy, for anyone that's only just tuned in, Colonel John Hamilton was, was telling you that he sold poppies for the Royal British Legion at the Mall Shopping Centre in Luton for 10 years, mm. but has stopped this year because he's no longer allowed to park for free. And he was telling you that he should be allowed to park for free, regardless of whether other charity collectors are afforded the same privilege, because you can't compare the Royal British Legion to other charities. Let's just remind ourselves what he said. I uh, care passionately about the Royal British Legion. I care passionately about people supporting the Royal British Legion. And if people belittle the Royal British Legion and say it's exactly the same as all other charities, which is what they say, I why say is that it's not wrong. Why is it different from all other charities? Why is, why is this charity so special compared to sick kids, cancer, other charities? It's um, the charity that the, Her Majesty the Queen goes to the Royal Albert Hall every year. It is the charity that is represented at the Cenotaph with everyone wearing their poppies, supported by Her Majesty the Queen. It is a national charity <coughs> that's been going since 1921. And that makes it better than other charities. It does. Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear your views. Is the Royal British Legion the most important charity? 08459 455 555. Perhaps you totally agree with Colonel John Hamilton. You think, yes, the Royal British Legion, it is, out of all the charities we have in the UK, it is without doubt the most important. Uh, the charity represents our freedom, mm -hmm. and we should all give our money to the Royal British Legion over other charities, and they should be afforded special privileges. Or perhaps you totally disagree with him. Perhaps you don't believe the Royal British Legion is the most important charity. Perhaps you know of one that's far more deserving. 08459. Nine four double five five double five from nine. We'll discuss it on the big phone. Yeah. David tweeted me and says, "I don't support the work of the Royal British Legion. You can't say that everyone does." And it's, I, 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 I listen. They do. They do great work. And, and the Colonel has raised lots and lots of money and has done it for years. Good luck to him. Uh, but I, I would suggest that, that if you've had personal involvement with a disease or a condition or a charity or something, then that one is the most important to you. But yes, the, it is supporting freedom and, and, and things like that. Apparently, from nine, we'll discuss it. I look forward to listening to it, Jonathan. Thank you very much. You still up for thursday yes you're not going to do a, a daddy splat on me are you if you're lucky <laughs> we'll see how much we drink at lunchtime <laughs> <laughs> see you later he looks genuinely terrified i think that's terror or maybe it's excitement i don't know jonathan bernard smith <laughs> press a button across beds hearts and barks <laughs> This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. One of us, one of us will get the sack. I, th I think that's inevitable. It's, it's just a matter of, of when that will be. 
Now, this story, I think it's fascinating. And uh, my producer, Laura, came up with this. She, she mentioned it in the meeting yesterday. We were like, oh, that's a good one. Uh, there is a demand for Jimmy Savile merchandise, despite the sex abuse allegations which uh, surround him. BBC Three Counties has found two dozen items on the internet auction site eBay, which have attracted multiple bids. The lots include a Jim will fix it badge, which has 41 bids. It will sell for at least £216. Items include autobiographies, uh, board games, soap and tracksuits. Yesterday, David sold a signed picture of the late TV presenter for 31 quid. I had quite a few emails saying that sick burn, burn the picture, and so I had all this, and, I, and I, re- I did respond to about six messages I had. I responded to all of them saying I couldn't agree more with all of you regarding this issue, but it was just something that, to be honest, I didn't really put that much thought in. I'm no. actually, as I say, and probably a selfish way, thinking, well, I've just been gone and been ripped off. If someone wants it, let them have it. And whatever their reason is behind it, that's none of my business. You just crack on. As long as you pay that money into my PayPay account, I'll get rid of the picture. Well, one of the uh, things that was, is selling are Jimmy Savile fancy dress clothes, um, particularly with Halloween approaching. However, one company who didn't want to get involved was fancy dress supplier Smithies. They've stopped selling their official Jimmy Savile costumes after the abuse allegations came out. Megan Pacey is from the company. She joins us now. G- good morning, Megan. Good morning. When did you decide to stop selling the outfits? Um, as soon as the allegations started to come to light and obviously they started to gain motion in the press and everything like that, we wanted to make sure that we distanced ourselves from that. We signed the licence for Jimmy Savile back in 2009 before any of the allegations came to light. Uh, but since the allegations have come to light, we've decided to try and distance ourselves from that and take the steps to um, stop selling the costume. Did you notice um, that that when these allegations came out that there was a a surge in requests for this? Um, Well, Smithies, we actually sell direct to trade. So we don't sell direct to to the public. So we sort of end up having a bit of a a delayed response in the uptake of costumes. But obviously we do take notice of things that are going on on the internet, any uptake in sales on Amazon or anything like that. Uh, And we did notice that there were a few more inquiries into the costume. Um, There were a few more inquiries into the costume. It's incredible, isn't it, the the, the way um, people kind of think when these things happen? It is. It is, I'm afraid. It's, um, It's... just the mentality of some people, but with Smithies, we've really tried to make sure that we're not seen to be profiting from anything to do with Jimmy Savile anymore. We wanted to distance ourselves from the costume, and we felt the appropriate decision would be to remove the costume from sale. Good for you. I'm hesitating slightly because my computer's just frozen. I've just logged on to, uh, <laughs> to, to eBay to have a look at uh, uh, some. And they are, the, the, the outfits are up there on eBay. How much did they sell? How much would they have sold in the shops? Uh, it completely depends on our customers. Uh, we obviously don't set the RRPs for our customers, right. um, but uh, it just depends. It retails, I'd guess, between sort of forty-five to fifty-five pounds. Oh, on okay. The in that case, the price is down. I've, I've got one in front of me that's twenty-three quid, and I saw one that was uh, that was thirty-five uh, pounds. But they've got like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen bids on them. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, uh, there's people that obviously want costumes that are controversial, yeah. and you're always going to get things like that. But any costumes that are available to buy, they're the last remaining items of stock that we've okay, got. We so won't be manufacturing any more of these costumes or accessories. So let's just, just, just to clarify, that, that Smithy's the company that you represent, you are, you are no longer making these and you distance yourselves from them since the allegations. Yes, certainly have, Megan yes. Pacey, thank you very much for coming on uh, and telling us about that. It's odd, isn't it?
Okay, be honest. I'm not going to judge you. I don't know how I feel. I, I, I was saying to my producer, hey, if I was 20, then I might get some kind of sick pleasure at, at, at wearing a, a Savile costume to a Halloween party. I wouldn't do it now. I'm older and wiser and better informed. But maybe then I would. Uh, are you thinking of going to a Halloween party dressed up as Jimmy Savile? It's got to be more frightening than Jason Voorhees, isn't it? From the... What film is that from? The one with the hockey mask? Friday the 13th, isn't it? I can see why people would do it. I can see why people would, would think it was a laugh. And it's not in any way to say that what has happened and, and Savile's crimes are funny. But, listen, I was a 20-year-old bloke once. I know how 20-year-old blokes' minds work. And there will be some crazy character turning up at uh, 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 the door and, you know, now they're, now they're doing all of that kind of stuff. Would you, would you do that? Do you consider it to be completely, completely inappropriate to be selling this merchandise uh, on eBay? Uh, 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. Uh, Roberto Peroni, yeah! That's the guy I've been mistaken for twice this week. I don't know how. He's on at the completely different time of the day to me. But two callers go, all right, Roberto, hang on a second, what? I should be so lucky to be compared to, to one of the greatest living broadcasters in this country. Roberto Peroni uh, is on weekdays, three till seven. The best stories from across the three counties from amazing local people. Local news, as it happens. Uh, and it's, he has the roundtable discussions from six. Now, where are we today? Tuesday, business and finance. That's Roberto Peroni from 3pm uh, weekdays on BBC Three Counties Radio. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. That's the phone number. I suggest you make good use of it because while I'm uh, this is on my watch, then I want... To get as many of your phone calls as we possibly can. Uh, you can text as well, 81333, or you can follow us on Twitter. Either follow at Ian Lee or at BBC3CR. Coming up in the last half an hour of the show, more on poppies, more on this walkway, and, um, well, the weather in its new slot. We'll, we'll find out more about that in a minute. Now, you... Oh, I just pressed that button again when I shouldn't have done. I do apologise. You've probably started to see poppy sellers around the three counties. They seem to be absolutely everywhere. Uh, at the moment, which is good. Uh, one collector who has sold poppies in the Mall in Luton for 10 years will not be selling there this year because his free parking has been taken away and he is concerned about security. Colonel John Hamilton has raised £8,000 from the collection last year for the Royal British Legion. Earlier on, he joined me in the studio. Yeah. I'm upset about not being given free parking and the security that goes with it. It's a two-part thing. Why can't you pay for the parking? Me personally? Of course I can. Tell me why I should. You tell me why you shouldn't. No, you tell me why I should. Because everybody has to pay for parking and all the other charity collectors pay for the parking. Oh, now right. you tell me why you shouldn't. I shouldn't because the Royal British Legion should be supported by them all. The Royal British Legion mm -hmm. should not be giving money to them all to sell poppies. Right. It's the other way around. If you missed the interview, it, it got a little bit um, uh, tense, I guess. It wasn't quite Frost Nixon. Uh, do listen. It wasn't. Uh, go and listen to the iPlayer. About quarter to seven. Um, you, you may enjoy it, you may not. Anyway, Angela Parker is uh, selling poppies in Bedford this morning. Good morning, Angela. Well, good morning to you. <laughs> Where exactly are you? Whereabouts do you, do you loiter? 
Right. Well, at the moment I am loitering, but only to speak to you, because okay. I was uh, pre-warned. I'm actually in the poppy shop that I create in Bedford. Oh. And that, I mean, from, from what I've just heard, um, the Mal in Luton, I suppose, is something on similar lines. And I, I open a shop for two weeks. Um, I've already done a stint at the railway station, and I didn't go in the proper car park because I would have, well, I would have probably still been waiting with the queues to sell poppies. Right. And um, I'm there for the fortnight, and I was there at six o'clock this morning to late until the others took over. Good for you. And I asked, um, if I, <laughs> sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it, yeah. but I did ask yesterday, could I leave my car there and I wouldn't be, you know, was there any fear of clamping? And he said, no, not at all. Well, that's Capital Connect who have offered the... So you got free parking. Me. Which train station was this, Angela, sorry? This is Bedford. Bedford now, train I station. To add, yes. That is only between six and eight. Okay. All my other collectors are parking elsewhere. Right, okay. But you've got a couple um, of us. I think you may have something there. It, it, it can be how you ask, can't it? Exactly, and I will say, I mean, this is the tenth year I've been running the Poppy Appeal. The tenth year I've I've had a shop from somebody or another, whether it's been an agent, the council, or, you know, at the moment I'm in the Harper Centre. Um, I do have full cooperation. Um, The police look after me, the Harper Centre certainly do, because um, the shop is two stories. um, There's a service area upstairs. So, Angela, sorry, they they actually give you a shop for a couple of weeks, do they? Well, there is an arrangement. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I'm not going to go into yeah, that. Say no more, say no more. A few <laughs> backhand, there's a brown envelope is transferred, yes. <laughs> no, no, oh, no. that's great, though. Um, but, I mean, sort of in Bedford, as I say, I've... Okay, we all do a bit of networking somewhere in our lives. Yeah. Um, I've made the approach, and everybody is so cooperative. In fact, two years ago, I um, hosted, or hostessed, but I don't know what the words would be for that, um, a, a poppy awards evening. And I thought, well, it's not just the poppy sellers and, you know, sort of organisations who who do something for me. And I included the TA, local TA, the police, um, the council, the bus company. The list went on and they all had a certificate of appreciation. That goes a long way. Thank you doesn't doesn't Mm. take too long to say. You mentioned the security and the police keeping an eye on you. Do you you feel safe, but particularly when you're out and about with with your bucket and and your tray, do you feel safe? Uh, Well, yes. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't put anybody, you know, selling poppies in silly places. I mean, it's it's where they should be seen. But again, there is sufficient um, coverage, I would say, in, in Bedford Town, and so many people know us anyway. I mean, I've, I started at the railway station yesterday morning, and I haven't commuted for, what, 10 years to London to work? And uh, there's people I recognise from then. Mm. And um, it, it's lovely. I mean, it's very rewarding with a popular appeal. Otherwise, well, it's a superb charity. Well, Angela, we had, the, we had the Colonel on earlier on who was saying it was the most important charity. Why is the poppy appeal so important to you? Um... I, I haven't served in the forces. I've got no military background at all, um, and I didn't volunteer for this volunteer role. I was pushed and shoved and cajoled, but that's another story, <laughs> and I took it on. Um, I have been involved with other charities, but there's just something special. I won't say it's the most important charity. There's so many out there, and they're all doing good work, and I work with others as well. Mm. Um, but it is special um, because it's our men, our fighting forces, and uh, what we have to get away from, which I'll just put in here, 
lot of people still think the British Legion only deal with the First and Second World Wars. We deal with every individual of, you know, sort of from any combat. And there's only been a couple of years since the ending of World War Two where we haven't been involved in conflict. Mm. Um, it is special, and, and running a shop, you're seeing people, veterans of all ages and serving, still, ones still serving, and they'll all come in and tell you something. And what I've learned over the, well, nearly 10 years is phenomenal. And we all, lots of people say the media tell us too much about what's going on in Iraq or uh, Afghanistan. Um, that's, that's, we, we hear a little bit more from the individuals who come in. Mm. But, Parties. I mean, okay, we worked our socks off to do it. Um, I, I won't say how much sleep I'm getting at the moment. It's not a lot. Um, and it's seven days a week for me and a lot of my helpers. But what the most rewarding thing is, um, is when somebody takes the trouble to come in or go up to one of us and say, thank you for helping me. Angela, and we'll leave it there. That's Angela Parker, um, who's selling poppies in Bedford. Uh, and sounds like she's having a good uh, crack at it. Well done. Thank you very much. Uh, indeed. Um, <clears throat> Steve from Hemel. Uh, having just checked their website. Ah, this is the Mal, the parking in the Mal. It costs £8 to say more than five hours at Luton Mal. I agree with the Colonel. Why should any charity collector pay that? Surely the Mal makes enough money they can allow one or two collectors to do so freely a day. I'm willing to bet their staff or management don't pay that fee. Lucy in Sundon Park says, Ian, I think the Royal British Legion do great work. No one can deny that. But I support animal charities only. And the way I see it is that is, it is my money. I will do with it as I wish. We all have different priorities. There is... Um, uh, you can be kind of looked down upon, can't you, if you're seen to be not wearing a poppy. Here's a, a little bit of inside gossip. If you appear on BBC television, they give you a poppy before you go on. You're not allowed on without a poppy. They give you a poppy. And uh, I was, uh, was on another channel the other week, uh, uh, the weekend. And there were poppies in there. And they said, uh, you have to wear a poppy. And as soon as they said the word have, I kind of like, do you know what? I'm, I, no, I'm not going to this evening. It's, it's a little bit... I, I probably will wear a poppy at some point. But there is kind of... Um, you're looked down upon if you don't wear a poppy. Um, John is in Milton Keynes. Good morning, John. Oh, good morning, Ian. What can I do for you, sir? Well, it's with regard to an interview with the Colonel. Yes, they the, the spoke to uh, Colonel John Hamilton at about uh, ten to seven this morning. Yes, a yeah. poppy seller. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, I thought the, uh, the way you conducted the interview was excellent. Thank you very much. You asked all the right questions. But I was unhappy with the Colonel, the Colonel's response. It, it, now, I, I'm going to be careful because he's not here and I don't want to go yeah, off sure. on one, but I, he, I, I, understand I found his answers a little bit obtuse. Yes, yes. At yes. times. Yes, 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 yes. And yes. he didn't seem, in my opinion, to do himself many favours. But the issue that he was talking about, about not getting the free parking and the security that brings, do you think that he should be entitled to that? Well, I think, basically, that uh, all charities, uh, whatever they're collecting, um should be allowed free parking mm. and, uh, well, uh, not necessarily security, um, because presumably they, they, they can arrange their own security. Uh, so I, that, 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 that's not, that, that, uh, the security aspect is not really a problem with me. Mm. But, uh, no, I, uh, I thought the, the Colonel was, uh, uh, well, I, I couldn't really get my head round what he was saying. Uh, 
accept, as I say, that, uh, yes, I fully support the Varberish region, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I, I, I couldn't deal with, uh, really, deal with what he was saying. John, listen, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. If you want to hear it again, it's on the iPlayer. I do, I suggest, listen, I've had uh, emails and uh, a couple of tweets about this. I suggest we put it out as an audio booth. I suggest, I suggest we do, and uh, because it, it, it was one of those, um, those interviews. If you want to get in touch when we're not on air, by the way, and we keep talking about these things like audio booths and tweets and stuff like that, don't worry your head about it too much, but you can contact us. First of all, you can email us when we're not on air, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. And if you just kind of put my name in the subject heading in Lee or breakfast or something like that, we'll get it, okay? Um, or there are other ways as well. If you're on Facebook... Find the BBC Three Counties page. And that's a cracking page, because not only do we post stuff about our show on there, but also um, Nick's show and Jonathan will always post his... Jonathan will kind of post his question of the day, his big question up, before the show. So you can kind of have a little think about it and maybe have a little say online. Or you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ian Lee, I-A-I-N-L-E. I warn you, I go on about the monkeys a lot. Yeah, I know. All right, I saw you raise your eyebrows there. I actually saw that to my producer. Shame on you. Uh, Or, if you're not interested in the monkeys, then you're probably better off following at BBC3CR, where you'll get updates about this show, uh, about Roberta, about the whole station, basically, and it kind of just keeps you informed as to what uh, is going on uh, throughout the show. The best way to get in touch with me, though, and you can do this for the next... It's nearly a quarter to nine. Who'd have thunk it? It's give me a call. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. I'm as, as, as keen as, as I can while while this is on my watch, and it will be for a while. Um, to get your voices on air, whether you agree or disagree. In fact, I kind of enjoy it more when you disagree. I'm not one of those shows that cuts people off because you hold a differing point of view to me. I'm, I'm keen to hear all of your points of view. Now, in its new new slot of about 8.45-ish, can't be any more specific than that, and I hope she can tolerate it, it's the weather with Elizabeth Rossini. Good morning. You sound so excited to have the weather in its new slot. I'm always um, excited, <laughs> Elizabeth, and particularly excited that it's you doing the weather. Oh, you're so kind. That's very kind. You're welcome. Now, get well, on with it. <laughs> Sorry, it's having a bit rough. Go, go. But those, the, <laughs> I will get on with it. Thank you very much indeed. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, 12 minutes to nine. Uh, coming up at nine o'clock, it's Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Always worth a listen. I, I had me in hysterics yesterday. It was absolutely fantastic, so it's definitely worth uh, tuning into that. Now, the UK's first universally accessible walkway has been built in Buckinghamshire. The pavement connects Stoke Mandeville Stadium with Aylesbury Town Centre and already has some adaptations for people with mobility problems. In the next two years, it will be improved to help those with visual and hearing impairments as well. Andrew Clark is from Bucks Disability Service, and he got this. Or they got the scheme off the ground. It's a length of uh, pavement from Stoke Mandeville Stadium to Aylesbury Town Centre, which has been comprehensively rebuilt and redesigned to make it accessible for all people with a uh, physical disability or an impairment. So, what's changed? Um, it a lot of it is things that perhaps should have been there anyway. So, for example, the curbs are all dropped. There are islands in the middle of the road for people who walk slowly. But there are some features which are not in the national standards, which we've 
um, doing for the first time, really, and that are things like putting seats at frequent intervals along the route so that people who need to sit down and rest can do so. Um, simple things like that. There is a dog waste bin along the route so that people with an assistance dog have got somewhere to go without having to find it. Um, and it's signposted. It's very clearly signposted so that people don't lose their way because that's obviously an issue as well. And you've just signed a memorandum of understanding with the council to change it even more, haven't you? That's correct. Um, Bucks County Council, Aylesbury Vale District Council, Aylesbury Town Council and a number of other bodies that are involved. This is a very complicated project. Um, they've signed a memorandum of understanding to develop it as what could be the UK's first ever um, universally accessible way, which is to say a route that is specifically built and designed to be accessible for all disabled people, whatever their impairment or, or disability. Uh, what needs to happen then to make it that accessible? Um, it's, uh, most of it is about people with a visual impairment or with a, with a hearing loss impairment. Um, obviously people with a visual impairment who walk with a white stick, they need what's known as a tapping ridge or a tapping edge and that means that the whole route has to be curbed in a particular way there are no national standards for this. This is going beyond the standard of accessibility that is normally required of public pavements. And we are going to have to break, literally break new ground in terms of looking at how we design this so that, for example, it's good for a person who uses a white stick, but it doesn't trip off people who use walking sticks. So there are some really tricky issues. And that's never been done. That's never been done anywhere in the country, as far as we're aware. And so, you know, it seems very fitting that in the home of the Paralympics, we should actually be making this, you know, taking forward these new projects for disabled people. There we go. We've been talking this morning uh, about Jimmy Savile, of course. Um, but the angle we've looked at today is that there is loads of stuff uh, uh, for sale. Um, Jimmy Savile memorabilia on eBay. And it's getting a few quid. The, uh, there's a Jim will fix it. Jim fixed it for me badge that's about two hundred and sixteen pounds with a couple of days to go. Uh, we spoke to a, a bloke called Dave who bought a signed photo of Jimmy um, about three months ago, fifteen quid. He sold it this week for thirty one pounds. We've been asking all morning. What do you feel about it? Do you think it's appropriate, inappropriate, sick? Uh, Aidan in Stevenage has texted him, 81333, starting his text 3CR. Met Jimmy Savile once at Henlow Grange. He was an icon to me because of my love of radio. Won't be selling my Savile autograph photo. Ripped it up. Ripped it up. Also this morning, we've been talking about odd food. I tell you what, there's a, a little thing in one of the papers. Uh, Chef Ben Spaulding wants you to lick his bricks. No, it isn't a euphemism. The rising star of the food world is about to start cooking in a new London restaurant where the menu will include his signature, chicken on a brick. Spaulding says customers will be encouraged to actually lick the brick. Come on! I'm not paying, and I bet it's a lot of money. I bet it tastes great, but a lot of money. I'm not paying to lick a brick. And it's kind of got us talking about um, odd things that you have eaten. I think it's a myth, isn't it, that, that pregnant women like licking, licking coal. I don't, believe any, I don't believe any pregnant woman has ever done that. I think it's one of those myths. My wife, when she's pregnant, chocolate and pizza. I can live with that. Those are the kind of cravings I am more than happy to, um, to you know abide by uh 08459 455 555 weird things you've uh, eaten pam brunning is the editor of the food and wine journal good morning pam good morning uh, i don't know if you ever had children or anything but is it a myth about pregnant women licking bricks uh, licking coal sorry um no no pregnant women do get uh, weird cravings for different things and i have heard of them Lick, uh, licking coal. Mm. I didn't myself. But did did uh, you have any cravings when you were pregnant, Pam? Um, I'm thinking chocolate. 
I think. Yeah, see, my wife had chocolate pizza, oh, and ice cream, so all of the, she had the good stuff. Yes. I was, happy I, to, I was happy to get that in the house. What's the weirdest thing that you personally, you've ever eaten, Pam? Um, oh, that's a good question. Are, are, are you quite um, conservative in your, in your yes, foodie tasting yes, things? I am. But there are restaurants out there that are serving most weird things these days. Any examples? Um, well, the, uh, the Danish restaurant, um, uh, chef came over, Noma, his, the chef came over to this country, Reni Repesi, and, uh, he was, he put, had a pop-up restaurant at, at Claridge's, and they were serving live ants. Oh, they were not! They were. Live ants! Yes. That's just dirty. <laughs> so you what, you you get a spoonful of live ants and they're running around and you pop them in your mouth. Evidently, they taste of lemongrass. Well, why not eat lemongrass? <laughs> why not just go have some lemongrass? Absolutely. Ooh, These I... were very special ants from Denmark, evidently. Oh, okay. So it's it, it, it's not just the kind of ants that you can get in your back garden or anything. No. Oh, no. Okay. But you, they do. Um, cook ants and locusts and this sort of thing. They deep fry They deep fry them and that. They're evidently very crunchy. Well, this fella, you talk about the guy from Noma, because this is also in this report, and they, uh, they, they must have a thing for eating live creatures, because they had live shrimps. Yes, yes. I don't think... I'm, listen, I'm a vegetarian, so I certainly couldn't, but I would be very disappointed if I was with someone eating a live shrimp. I couldn't cope with that, I don't think. Never tempted, Pam, to... Because in different parts... Of the, it's weird, isn't it? It's what we find acceptable in our own culture. Different parts of the world, a bit of reindeer, horse, maybe oh, a, yes. a bit of dog. Yes. Some, w- some countries, they even cook rats. Oh, dirty. <laughs> Would you ever eat a, a dog sandwich, Pam? No, no, I couldn't cope with that. Horse pie? Um, I have had horse meat, yes. Ooh. Yes. What, did, what did it taste like? Um, it's quite strong... And, um, not to my palate at mm. all. Would but, you uh, ever have, um, uh, a snake baguette? No. No? You wouldn't no. eat that? No. How about dog? You, you don't fancy dog? Because no, I bet really. dogs are tasty. No. You get a hind leg. <laughs> <laughs> no? Donkey sausage they are producing in France. <laughs> <laughs> Are they really? Yes. <laughs> Are they really? Wow. Yes, in the Loire, there's a, it's a speciality donkey sausage. Would you ever have a donkey sausage? I wouldn't mind trying. I wouldn't be averse to trying it. I wonder what that tastes like. Um, not a lot different to, um, wild boar meat, of course. Mm, yeah. So, uh, a salami of wild boar would be very similar to a donkey sausage, I would think. Pam, it's a, a bizarre world we live in. Thank you so much it for coming be. on. That's Pam Brunning. She's the editor of the Food and Wine Journal. What makes this job more difficult sometimes is uh, at about this time of the day, I'm in a, a studio separated by a little kind of office where my team are working, and through that I can see Jonathan Vernon Smith's studio. And for some, I don't know what's going on in there, but he's obviously listened to something very, very funny. I don't know, it can't be this show, because all we talked about is, is, uh, boar salami and donkey sausage. Nothing funny about that at all, Jonathan. Uh, No idea what, uh, you're banging on about. Jonathan will be up next. After that, at midday, Nick Coffer. Uh, He's going to speak to international best-selling author, who lives right here in the three counties, Michael Mulpergo. Even I've heard of him. 
Even I've heard of him. Uh, Tom Robinson is an army photographer from Wendover. He spent time filming in war zones like Iraq. And from 2pm, Nick will be speaking to the producer of a BBC's Saturday Kitchen. That's Nick Coffer on after Jonathan Vernon Smith. Uh, David has texted him. I only support the poppy appeal. Uh, I only support the poppy appeal. As without World War II servicemen sacrifices, I wouldn't have had a life, let alone one in a free country. Uh, well, there you go, David. Jonathan will be discussing um, the poppy appeal, asking if it's the most important charity. As we, we, if you missed the Colonel who was on the show earlier on, I do recommend you uh, go to to iPlayer, uh, and you can get iPlayer on your phone now. It's amazing. I've got it on my phone. I can watch TV and listen to the radio. Whenever I want, on my telephone. We're living in the future. Forget the silver suits and the hover cars. This is what I was after. Uh, do, do have a little listen. It was on at about uh, quarter to seven this morning. Something like that. And um, it was interesting, to say the least. If you want to see what the Colonel looks like, who's um, been selling poppies in the mouth for the last ten years, go to the Facebook page. Uh, look for BBC Three Counties on Facebook. And there's a picture of uh, him there in all his finery and splendour. Right, that's it. I'll be back tomorrow at six o'clock. What a show. I need a nice strong cup of coffee after that. Right, I'm off to see if I can find myself a donkey sausage. Stick around, though. Jonathan will be up next. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.